You're listening to the Fire in a Hole podcast with Richard and Jason, available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and a cast. If you want to keep the show free and help us keep the lights on, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. If you have ideas for the show, we'd like to come on the show, uh, don't hesitate to drop us a line at Podcast at gmail.com. That's Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Today we welcome composer and sound engineer Tristan Capacchione. He was kind enough to give us a behind-the-scenes look at musical scores and the role they play in movies, TV, and video games. We also talk about the rampant copying, well, copying without copying, of musical scores in the industry and the role that AI may come to play in the future of musical composition. And of course, as per usual, a whole bunch more. You can find more of Tristan at edefixmusic.com. That's I-D-E-E-F-I-X-E music.com link in the description where you can contact him to create original music for any and all media okay so here we go the man himself mr tristan capacchione on fire in the hole i wanted to do this since i was about 14. um i didn't listen to pop music i was listening to film soundtracks um it would be the works of uh, certainly then you know, john barry uh, john williams jerry goldsmith uh, Morricone, I suppose that was you know, the year of the late sixties, early seventies. The thrill of those those fantasy sort of films coming out and just think music being such a key part of that. Having said that, I don't write that kind of music necessarily now, and, and those those aren't the sort of projects now as an adult that I, I do. But that, I suppose that's what it was. It was uh, I escaped into film music. <laughs> I expect I, I'm willing to give any film like you know the five or ten percent that's like not a hundred percent probably because the director sure. wanted something else but then they cut that scene and then they realized later on maybe it doesn't work then they tried to fix it with ADR or something and like there's so many stories that we don't hear about yeah. how films are made that they're like would probably like make so much sense and like explain so yeah. much but well having worked in film and and television or video for as long like how long have you been doing that um We'll go with about 10 years, Ten years. more realistically about nine. But you're a musician? Yeah, my background is in, my background's in uh, music. I went to music school okay. um, at McGill. Mm-hmm. And um, after finishing school, I was like, yeah, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I thought, okay, I want to work in video game music, but I don't know anyone in video games. <laughs> so I'm going to start with film because that just seemed like because I know people who do film stuff. Who and they always need sound music. That's always yeah, a thing. Yeah, I figured, I figured it was a better starting place. Like, I figured I was inspired by, like, all the video game, you know, classic video game soundtracks that I grew up with as a kid. And I thought, man, like, I'd love to make something like that. That'd like, be write awesome. a little jingle that people are going to be covering with harps and electric guitars, like, 25 years after the fact. Not even thinking <laughs> that far ahead, but just, like, thinking, like, that music had a profound impact on me, uh, yeah. you know, even into my adulthood. Yeah, still to this day, I guess. Yeah. That, you know, oh, it wouldn't be cool to work in that. Because um, a degree in music theory, unless I went on to get a PhD, is not going to get me any kind of interesting job. Right. And even with the PhD in music theory, there are some questionable elements of to how interesting that job is. 
But yeah. provided yeah. you get the job. Right. But uh, so all that being said, I decided to start in film. And then I was, I was thinking about it and I just thought, oh, like, you know, I don't quite know. I was like, I don't, don't quite know what I'm doing either. I had done a, like a little course, which was like an introductory thing, but I didn't really know what I was doing. So then I remembered two years earlier, I ran into this guy at a, when they opened the new music building at McGill, there was like, you know, a big opening event. And they, there was this guy I met there and I remember that he was a, a film composer. I was like, oh, I have his card somewhere. He gave it to me. Mm. Um, and so I wrote to him like two years later, I emailed him and I was like, hey, remember doing me. this thing. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember me? Like I'm. You know, I want to do film music. I'll work for you for free. I want. I can do anything. I can orchestrate. I can do this. I can do that. I was saying anything. And he's like, okay, okay, okay. First things first. Settle down. <laughs> he's like, first things first, don't work for free. Second thing, let's let's meet up for lunch and we'll talk. Oh, that's a, that's, see that right out of the gate. Like that's credibility to me. Yeah, yeah. It sounds really credible. Darren Fung, you know, greatest, greatest guy you know, my mentor for many years. And mm-hmm. I mean, still, I still call him with questions every now and then. Um, you know, he really helped me. He changed my life. He got, he got me into the business and, you know, really kind of helped me through that. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was great. Um, so I guess that's kind of how I got started. I, I think I started working for him in early 2008. Okay. January, February, 2008. So yeah, about nine years ago, nine years ago. <laughs> Let that sink in. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> what? <laughs> what have I done with my life since then? I Seriously. don't know. <laughs> I think a bunch of people. I think that the just the numerical, like visual aspect of the two thousands, has had that effect. Because you know, in the nineties, you could kind of like be like, okay, it's nineteen eighty five. I better get my shit together, right? Or, or I'm still a kid. Oh, it's nineteen ninety. It's a new era. Right? But the two thousands, well, everyone's just like, oh, I guess we're adding another year. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Still well, let me tell you, 85 was a big year for me. I, that's the year I literally got my shit together and was born. So, <laughs> you know. Born, you're born 85. Yeah. Okay, so it was, it, I'll tell you, that was a, that was a pretty big, uh, it's a big that deal. Was, that was a big deal for me. Yeah. <laughs> a lot happened. Yes. Birthdays are big deals. I mean, actual birthdays. But yeah, no, I've always wondered what it was about. What do you think it is about like the Super Mario theme and Zelda theme? Do you think it's all nostalgia or are they really just incredibly like simple and amazing pieces of music like how do you what do you what do you, what do you make of it because they don't go away like every every 10 years somebody does a concert or yeah well i what i would say about this is that it had okay sort of our generation you know sort of you know in broad strokes here kind of 1980 give or take a few years onwards you know i mean we're the first generation that really grew up with video games in the house. Right. Like not in an arcade, not somewhere like we grew up with video games in the house. And that also mean, meant playing those games for hours. Mm. Even though they lasted, they were, there's maybe 10 minutes worth of game in the, well, I mean, yeah. At first, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, some, even of them, have some of them were short and some yeah. were long and some of them didn't have much in the way of music and some had a little more, but you know, we would play those games a lot mm. and it's the same 30 seconds over and over and over. And this is this is on systems that, you know, even when they had more advanced sound cards, they didn't have much in the way of sound effects. I've thought about this a bit. And the reality is that most video games, uh, much like old films, they didn't have much in the way of sound editing or sound effects or ambience 
they had whatever was recorded. And for video, like old films, you know, 40s, 50s onwards, they had whatever was recorded there, but they weren't able to add too much, not easily or, you know, it was limited. Mm -hmm. Because of space or? Just because of the format and the cost and the technology uh, to be able to edit in from tape sound effects that you recorded and it was a little more complicated. Mm -hmm. I don't know the precise history of all of sound editing and film, but there was a big changeover in the 70s. on account That's of when, like keyboards because of keyboards or no i think also because we started getting to multi-track tape technology mm-hmm. um you know things that made like again this is this is me talking off the cuff here um and someone on the internet will tell me i'm wrong that's like a given um that's fire the whole podcast at gmail.com yeah. <laughs> not my website not my email no um no i mean the you know to to give to give the listeners some perspective here you know, Bohemian Rhapsody in the 70s, that was an example of, you know, taking audio production technology and, you know, yeah, the Beatles did some things like that before, but like, you know, multi-track recording and tracking over yourself, you know, was a lot easier. I think the technology just made it easier. And so I always thought, I always thought it was weird when people would talk about films like The Conversation and how the sound in it is really interesting. But then I thought, Maybe the bar also just wasn't that high before. No, no. Mm. Well, there's a reason why that movie's in uh, was put in like the what do you call it? Not the Smithsonian, but like the uh, it was it was it's preserved as a heritage yeah. film. Oh yeah, because it was not only seen as a a perfect uh, uh, sort of time capsule of the '60s, um, but I mean Gene Hackman is in it, so he's great. Have you yeah. seen the conversation? I think I have, but it was a long time ago. Yeah, he's like this private eye. Who, who gets like people cheating on like today would it be with GoPros <laughs> right. but back then it's with all this cool like old school equipment with uh, wood paneling on it <laughs> and yeah. a lot of knobs <laughs> and antennas antennas were so cool right I remember yeah. I remember on the back of comics they would have these like ads for like somebody roller skating with the big headphones oh, yeah, and the yeah. antenna and you're like take it with you and you're like right. mind blown you know <laughs> so yeah but i mean that's still uh that analog stuff i mean somewhere somebody made the decision to i guess write music i mean super mario would have been with like a keyboard or oh well so we're gonna get we can yeah. go into the technology bit about it in a second but i think what i'm trying to say is the technical limitations of the time whether it's in film or in thing i think I think the producers behind these 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 projects realized that music was going to be the savior to fix up any other sound issues. And that's why music with big themes was so much more prominent in, you know, if you go back to like, you know, think of grand movies like Gone with the Wind or mm. the, I mean, you know, they had lots of musical movies in the 50s and stuff, but you know, full orchestra, like full the, orchestra. Yeah. And it's usually over the top and just melodramatic. Mm. And I mean, the acting was a bit melodramatic too. Still theater, but, very theater based. Yeah. Yeah. Still very theater based. But I think also with the limited sound editing, I think it was harder to get that sense of sort of, you needed the music to cover more in the sound. Realm. The limitations. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. needed music to, to fill in a lot of gaps. Sure. Whereas now, I mean, now the music is, brought down so much just so you can hear a bit of yeah you know and don't get a composer started on that um yeah you can hear like people's like uh 
hair follicles falling out <laughs> at this point. Yeah, and it's like, oh, the music's too loud. We we need to hear the hair fall. And, okay, and you know, sometimes there's there's great artistic reason, and that's that's a great thing. And sometimes it's like, okay, I think we're being a bit. It's a oh, bit so much you're saying here. it's it's a thing to get a lot like cog blocked a lot as a as a composer, but because people now are insisting on hearing like every. Yeah, the priority usually goes dialogue, sound, music. Um, dialogue is usually king. Oh, unless uh, you're Hans Zimmer. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean... You just blow yeah. people's brains out with, with <laughs> but, the score. But, I mean, so that's the other thing, is that it's a question about what's the direction of the film you're wanting to take. And, you know, I'm kind of speaking in generalities here, and we're jumping from topic yeah, to topic yeah. here. That's, but, how, that's what, we do. That's what uh, we do. But, you know, I think... You know, I think there is a logic to that to that hierarchy. But if you're not going to do that, then you've got to you've got to have an artistic vision in mind of what your of what your film is going to be in the sound realm. Mm. Um, what I love as an example, and like I, I give this as an example, and um, when I teach a first year animation uh, class about sound mm -hmm. and music and stuff and how to think about it. I play them examples of Radiolab, which do you guys know the show Radiolab? It, it rings a bell. Um, I've heard of it, but I've yeah, heard. it's it's a it's a radio show. Of, the CBC uh, thing? No, uh, WNYC in New York. Okay. Um, and the, it was the like host, audio, an audio show. Yeah, I mean it's a radio show, so it's audio mm -hmm. only, and there's just, I mean, one of the co-hosts and one of the show producers, Jad, he's also a composer and sound designer, and so he really did this. He took the realm of like popular science radio hosting, you know, the CBC equivalent is maybe Quirks and Quarks, which is much more like informational and good for everyone. And it's a fine show. I've learned and heard many interesting things, but he just brought into this whole other world where just, you know, he thought of how to make, how to make that sound world so rich and to find that right balance of music and sound editing and to really create pictures in people's minds from you know just basically two dudes talking and he's he's so it's it's a conversation and then there's like these soundscapes he i mean he edits it all in afterwards okay like he scores the show and he well i was saying i mean now that the show's a lot more successful and, and he's been going on for years now and he's taken on a few other projects uh he they also hire guest artists and stuff mm. but uh yeah they have a full sound editing team that like you know they they carefully craft these things i highly encourage you all to check yeah. it out um, we, love the, we love the audio format, as you can see. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so I guess what I'm trying to say is with your project, you can you can make the choice to make music a big thing, and you can make the choice to make sound a big thing. I think the most important thing is to make sure that the composer and sound designer are working together on the project. I've heard of stories where it's like you try and get the sound in advance, and they just ignore you. Uh, this was on a on a. I won't say which, but this was on a big <laughs> uh, cartoon series out of L out of LA. Uh, okay. uh, some years back now. So like a struggle between the two departments. Yeah, I mean, it's just that it's just that you know. There was like, oh, can you send me that so that I don't step on your toes and you don't step on mine, or or just so I don't step on your toes, and then it kind of like, you know, there wasn't really a reciprocal thing, and so then. Of course, when it came time to mix, you know, basically music always got brought down. And it's like, well, I wouldn't have done that there had I known that there was going to be something in the sound realm. Mm. Now, maybe some of that could have been like foreseen a bit like, OK, you see an explosion, you know, not to do something big there because, you know, that explosion is effect, going yeah. to be really big. 
So unless it's a overture of eighteen twelve, and like V for Vendetta or something, where it's part of the right. And so this is this is the point now is that, like, okay, apocalypse now, hmm. right? You know, that's, very music driven. Yeah, and but I mean, you know, the the sort of classic scene probably made adagio by uh, adagio for strings by Barber. You know, as I mean, I think it was famous before, but even more famous. Because you've got this tragic scene unfolding, bombs falling, just like com- complete and utter destruction, mm-hmm. relatively recent in the minds of Americans at the 1980. Yeah, so, this would have know, been like right It was only there. 10 years later yeah. kind of thing. It wasn't that far after. And, you know, rather than, you know, it's going a bit counter to it. There's yeah. so much going on that you just step back and you say music only, and it's going to be, you know, slow going against all the hectic chaos yeah, it kind of rises had. this is the we're talking about the scene with the choppers yeah uh well like with um with the Rather choppers and you know it's like the slow beautiful melodic uh soaring strings like you know that feel like their line never ends it's like mm-hmm. uh, i mean singing yeah they, they sort of start it's almost like they're they're tuning at the beginning right and it starts to rise uh yeah i I don't know that I would describe it as a tuning, okay. but yeah, they like forgive it's slowly, my, uh, no, my, it's okay. It's my okay. Uh, barbarian terms, but uh, yeah, I, I know, I know we're talking about the same yeah, thing. Yeah. And yeah. it's just, you know, but it's like, and it's just this big emotional climax and it's just, you know, it goes counter to what's on the screen visually. Yeah. And, and the point for that is, reason, the point is you know, as a director or whatever, or as a creator, you know, you should, you should make, you should understand that there are many ways to go with the project and be open to trying different things unless you have a very clear idea of why you want to do something and what that is. Um, but so, don't like undercut each other, basically, right? Yeah, I mean, the point is you're all there to work together. So, and I think, I think that's why in modern films, in modern scores, we've opted for very kind of not theme-driven scores. Oh, yeah? You feel like I think Hans Zimmer is, is a classic example of that, actually. You know, the theme-driven scores being John Williams, for mm-hmm. example, right? I mean, yeah, Star Wars, iconic, or any of his big scores from, you know, the 80s and the Yeah, they're, the they're very, like, rec- immediately recognizable, and it's a... Yeah. yeah, and the music is always up front in those films, even though Star Wars has plenty of great sound effects for the time and sure. everything, you know? I mean, you, you know... know who the, <laughs> sorry to interrupt you. Do you know who the oral knots are? No. Uh, I, I, this is a, I strongly suggest you check them out. I think they're sound engineers and composers. I think that's right. what the guys do. But what, what they do on YouTube is just have fun with audio. Right? All right. So they do a bunch of dubbing. They've recut the Star Wars prequels into a big joke about like um, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi trying to get off of drugs and raves. Like, and it works. But their audio work is like, oh, on point. I think I know what I think I know what you're talking about. I think yeah. I know what you're talking about, or like where they where they recut things to to songs and stuff. They recut things to songs, or they have like, and Bane it just changes or, the feel completely. And well, the big the, the reason I bring this up is because one of their one of our favorite ones is uh, it's a, it's the last scene of New Hope. Okay, with the the, the with the medals, yeah, you know, yeah. the medal ceremony. And they've completely oh, yeah, extracted just away the music. That. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah, that's a great one. <laughs> and you could hear like, <laughs> yeah, the, the back awkward, and, <laughs> the awkward, and like kind of the awkward. All of a sudden, those smiles look really awkward as it doesn't just make standing sense. Around. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Same and, thing for a uh, 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 Force Awakens, the last scene that yeah. people criticized the staring going on for too long. Without music, that scene doesn't make sense. <laughs> that yeah. they're just like looking at each other for a really inordinate amount of time. You know. Yeah, and so I think. 
And so I think in modern in modern films that They've especially especially action and themes. and thing, it's a little less on themes because usually the sound design is really busy and really present and and that's that, there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. But I think by as a result, to sort of not step on those toes, mm. the music is more about feel rather than making you feel something. It's like Star Wars themes they make you feel so many things because they, you know they lead your emotion. I mean, it's basically like a cartoon for adults. Pretty much. You know, like cartoons uh cartoon western in space. Cartoons yeah. are infamous for, you know, just like guiding the every emotion and, you know, telling the viewer exactly what they should be thinking at all yeah. times. Blah, blah, uh, blah, 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 like that type of stuff. Yeah, or <laughs> you know, or that you hear like as you see them walk along or something. Like right. you know, everything is is really like mimicked and you know, and we call it Mickey Mousing. Uh, is that is that that's the industry term? Yeah. Uh when when you like sort of mimic every action or everything on screen, it's called Mickey Mousing. Okay, like um, bum 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 like well no one can see you when you're doing that right, but, but yeah <laughs> the point is yeah like every everything you see visually has a, a corresponding musical action so again if it was steps it would be boom like uh you open the cabinet you know right. and like the the small the small characters are like high-pitched instruments and like the big characters are low-pitched instruments yeah so we call yeah. that mickey mousing um it has its place too, but comedy probably comedies probably comedies. More. Yeah, uh, but again, it's a question of like for old for old Looney Tunes cartoons and stuff that made sense because they weren't going to have sound editors and the technology wasn't there to make that really feasible. Mm. And I think it makes it funnier too. Like Definitely. there is that artistic decision, but it was also a practical thing where how do we bring this to life and all the sound effects were almost all instruments hmm. and and great and really well done. And oh man. Kids like, connect with it immediately. Should, like the crazy thing is that the orchestras were sight reading that stuff and meaning they like, were just like they get the music on stand and they play it for the first time. Okay. And they're, you know, like this is normal in film in the film world that musicians record everything within, you know, like professional musicians will do three takes on a cue and then move on. But with the Mickey Mousing stuff, it was crazy because the technology, again, was very different. Like nowadays, every musician will have the metronome playing in their, in their, own, in their own headset, and there's a conductor, and they can see the screen. And like they've got more than enough information to help guide them along. In the 50s, they didn't quite have that, that uh, infrastructure right. and that technology. It would have been like that big band set up, right? Where like in a cabaret with like the, all the guys in the white jackets you know kind of playing songs what i mean is like they would have just had to go with whatever music sheet music was given to them yeah i mean so the sheet music is there and then there's a conductor whose only reference is i mean he may have had a click track generated uh uh again depends exactly like the cartoon stuff is one thing other film stuff is another thing Mm. they sometimes just had visual cues and uh, like a, a, a swipe or something happening visually on the film. So they say, okay, I know my hit's coming up, two, three, four, hit. You know, And so they would direct the musicians like that. Yeah. It's like taxi um, drivers before GPS. They just rise <laughs> to the occasion and just made it happen. Just had to yeah. fly by the seat of their pants. Figured it out. Yeah. But like on a big melodic score like Star Wars is saying, it's easy to kind of follow along because you know it's all recognizable. But on the cartoon stuff, you know, when it's just like blinks and blonks and sound effects, 
Yeah. It's a lot more abstract, and the fact that they were doing it in basically a few, like sort of two to four passes, because they'd do like they'd alternate like cues one, three, five, seven, and then two, four, six, eight. I I think that's how it went down. There's there's some videos you can find of of uh, of them doing that uh, of like old sessions, old school and stuff, Disney uh, of old sessions scoring, like yeah. that. Yeah, that's cool stuff. Um, but yeah, so all that to say, you know, the technology has made it that. Music takes a different role now, I think. Um, well, I mean, the, I think composers respond differently in today's scores because of the way the technology and the pro- the filmmaking process has changed. Right. Um, also, everything and, is scores now. Like, yeah. Like, not every movie got a score before, right? Like, now their video games have scores. Um, I think I think most films always had a score. Very few films didn't. No, but I mean like scores in terms of uh, like released, right? Like release scores that you can buy. Like that that's fairly like recent development that people demanded mm. that there be a, like a like a specific score for a movie. Uh, or am I wrong about l- that? When you okay, when you say score, do you mean like a recording? Yeah, like you bu- you went like, to see the movie and then you buy the music of the movie. Um, like yeah, like a recording of the of the music. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, it's. I mean, I don't know how far back that tradition goes. I think in the fifties and stuff, when you know some of the the movies were very song based mm. or musicals, you could probably get them on LP. Yeah, or... you you could get the songs, not necessarily the underscore. Nowadays, it's not uncommon to get the underscore along with the songs for right. those things, uh, like on Disney uh, musicals and stuff. Um, but you you could get like John Williams music on LP back in the day, and I know this because video game composer Tom Salta, we did he um, we had him in town for a workshop, and uh, he told this story. But it's like I remember, you know, like I went to go see Indiana Jones, and it was amazing. And then you know, like they used to sell like kind of like trading cards of films. Yeah, back yeah. in the day so he's like and then i'd have like my trading cards and i'd like listen to the lp and try and like relive those moments in the movie <laughs> you know and i thought that was just like the funniest and cutest thing ever like yeah. just imagine like this using your this, imagination like, this 10 year old kid or whatever this 15 year old kid i don't know how old he was just being like man like in that scene and oh yeah and, like that music it's like so great um this goes back a little bit to what amir was talking about <laughs> remember about yes, using your imagination, <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. No, no, it's true. I mean, um, uh, we had a guest on Adam uh, Ryder um, that was saying when he was a, when uh, the Batman came out with the Michael Keaton Batman came out, he was so obsessed with it, he would record himself doing all the lines. Oh wow! Yeah, <laughs> and like because he just knew it by heart because yeah. he was that you know. So yeah, I mean the the records. I guess I guess it goes back further than than uh, I realized. But I guess in terms of the marketing is when is maybe what I'm thinking of how like in the ni- 90s uh, yeah I'd say yeah 90s it's really started to take off where that was like a companion product you would definitely buy with the movie right the DVD you'd get the soundtrack and people I have the vinyl ordering. for like Lost Boys Godfather Lost Boys really yeah, yeah. a few of those Scarface I think Scarface okay yeah yeah. so yeah so that's, that goes back it goes a back a lot, lot longer I mean, I guess. Yeah. but I don't think it was I don't think they were releasing it for every movie Right. Mostly because people wouldn't buy it. Right. But now people can do really cool things. I mean, uh, with uh, just look at some of the games on Steam. I don't know if you're familiar yeah. with the platform, but some of the sound on it is, speaking as an amateur, like yeah. 
some of the sound on it is is spectacular spectacular yeah. sound because it's these guys have the technology they have the the freedom to do it because it's not a big studio game yeah. so they can just go to town what was that one we were playing the other day that the sound was absolutely off the charts which one the ori in the blind forest i think that might be it or was it the climb your friends uh, mount your friends mount your friends yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah that one was actually if, if you're interesting it's a hilarious game but the soundtrack you were saying how in apocalypse now like it was it didn't it was a juxtaposition yeah of moods yeah, yeah. right it, it, same thing it has like a weird romantic comedy yeah dramatic score but it's a game where you kind of have to just climb on top of each other to see yeah. how high you can reach and it's super it's just weird really silly game with it's, like a really dramatic score exactly <laughs> you feel like you're watching a scene from the piano yeah but it's these guys with like little short shorts or whatever little uh speedos yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so anyways all this to say is that uh yeah this this composer was saying how he didn't have he, he just he went there in his mind with just the cards and his, yeah uh, I mean, it's funny that you mentioned the scores, uh, like the soundtracks to video games and the selling of them on the side uh, brings up a few interesting things to to my mind, which are, so speaking of Steam, uh, there's, this, there's this game, a pretty cool game called Polybridge. Don't know if you're familiar with it. Polybridge, yeah. It's, it's basically a bridge building simulator, and it's like... So it's just kind of a fun play with physics and you try and build these like ridiculous bridges and some have hydraulics and you try and, you know, you can do arch bridges and suspension. You can do the whole thing and, you know, there are some very, and you've got to do like sometimes elaborate setups. And so it's a game with a lot of trial and error on the user end. Mm -hmm. You know, you're like, well, that fucked up. How did my bridge break? It collapses? Oh, yeah, it collapses (laughs) all the time. And, you know, you thought your hydraulics were set to a proper amount, but then they didn't lock properly when they came down. Sylvie would love this game. (laughs) It's it's 10 bucks. It's it's great. It's, it's, you know, it's fun, and it's, you know, it's kind of playful. Um, And for the educators out there, apparently if if you work in a school, they are open to maybe providing you with free copies of it. Okay. So, So... Oh, that's pretty cool. Uh, I don't know. I don't know about awesome. that. I just heard about that. But uh, we have some engineer friends who probably be into it. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> one and, of them actually oh, working on the bridge right now. So oh, yeah, I <laughs> I encourage the engineers not to look at casual players when they do this game because it is painful. <laughs> like I spe- I say that to someone who's not an engineer. Okay. It is. I made some pretty horrible bridges, but <laughs> that's so. a sentence you don't get to say in life very <laughs> yeah. often. Yeah, exactly. It's it's like the, the, I don't know about you. But. I mean, and there are a few there are a few situations in the game that are pretty uh, that are pretty out there as well. Like you know, you have anchor points, which are you know where your bridge can have stability. You know, some kind of point that it can anchor to. And sometimes a hot air balloon acts as an anchor point, and you're like, okay, okay not down. really. Let's. I'm let's... not an engineer, but <laughs> yeah, um, I question the integrity of this project. Like, what happens when the balloon moves? Right. What if he goes up? No, I mean, it's it's just fine. And it's sonically, fine. Uh, so yeah, the the sound. Obviously, you know, so the game, so once you run the simulator, you know, a car usually has to get from point A to point B or, and then back to point C or something, you know. So sound wise, yeah, there's a little bit of ambience, like, you know, it's all kind of in generic uh, atmospheres like, oh, we're in a desert this time or, oh, we're in a more wintry plane, you know. So you might hear a few birds, you might hear a bit of wind rustling or something, but it's pretty minimal ambience wise. Mm -hmm. And you'll hear the little car motors like, you know. Okay, like cartoon. Yeah, I mean it's it's Water. it's a little cartoony looking as well, so it's like that's all fine. But there's not much 
needed in the way of sound, but you're going to be listening to the music. You know, it's trial and error. So you're going to be listening to it a lot. And <laughs> it's funny because I never would have, like, I thought this the soundtrack was super interesting. Uh, it's very well received. It got lots of great re- reviews, and you can mm-hmm. buy the soundtrack separately as well, going back to the point here. Um, and it's just a solo guitar playing like this kind of, um, acoustic guitar yeah acoustic guitar nylon string and just kind of like you can tell yeah it's, it's <laughs> there's awesome. no way it's a steel string um it's no like way. it's it's not really like it's not kind of like it's kind of like a pop thing like it's i don't know how to like kind of a folky upbeat kind of folky jack johnson type situation like every kind google of, new product video <laughs> yeah the like, jangly guitars yeah yeah like i feel like yeah kind of in that realm yeah like it'd be like maybe jack johnson without the vocals and and other instruments right. okay and you know Har- the most harmless type of yeah guitar music and it's just like so soothing you know and i thought it was so like as a composer my mind wouldn't have jumped to that one i'm not a guitar player so like the idea of like composing 40 minutes of guitar music is a little beyond my mm-hmm. it's not my go-to um but i love that it's like this super soothing thing for the composer it must have been relatively simple work to just be like oh like because obviously probably plays guitar and was just like oh i'll just noodle around a bit yeah i like that one okay here's another one kind of noodling around a bit and you know did 10 tracks in the style of jack johnson and and I'm out. <laughs> boom, soundtrack done. And it's great though. Like it, it really just kind of nails it, it on the, uh-huh. yeah. And again, cause you're just going to be sitting there listening to it for like however long. And you're just like, well, if it's a building game, that's probably very long. Yeah. yeah. I think that's a, there's a, there's a pattern with these types of games that are just really soothing kind of uh, puzzle games. Yeah. But kind of put you in this, this state. Yeah. I've noticed like almost every one that I've installed. They tend to have a very soothing. Uh, it's true. It's true. There's something to that. Uh, the, the relaxation um, uh, sonically, definitely, it seems to be the goal. Uh, there are exceptions, of course, where they uh, they do things to annoy the shit out of you. Like <laughs> Candy Crush, if you don't turn off the music after the first five minutes, it, you'll, you'll want to murder somebody. It has this really uh, annoying kind of weird carnival music. That just loops. I've never played Candy Crush. Yeah. Neither, neither have I. Yeah. Yeah. But this one has. Just does like that kind of like the whole time. <laughs> it's like a little reggae thing. Yeah. This is from which game? This one's called Two Dots. Okay. And, and you just have to make like a combination of dots, but it has this like. Spacey. Let go <laughs> of all your anger. Yeah. <laughs> Become one with the wind. <laughs> yeah. And Relaxation. And exhale. <laughs> Think of yourself <laughs> as a big cloud of nothing. <laughs> um, yeah, which is great. That's a great idea because video games otherwise tend to be very like, well, they've become very. F- uh, so movie like soundtrack for the rest of the, uh, the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> just gonna leave it. Yeah, in the back. just put everyone to sleep. Yeah, and all of a sudden I start talking a bit higher. <laughs> How's everyone doing? I'm great. Let's Isn't chill with beautiful? Bob Ross. <laughs> exactly. Let's put a beautiful little butterfly in here. <laughs> a happy little tree. Why don't we do that? <laughs> Hello, little tree. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. So the the bridge building game had like has this little jangly guitar thing. Yeah, and like it's it's great because it's again like I loved it because I just thought wow I never would have like that never would have been my inclination. I mean I 
hadn't thought about what my inclination would have been but you know again just solo guitar and that style for you know the whole game like i've been like no i should try and do some different tracks get a bit of variety and this and that like that's not the direction you would have taken basically i don't think so that wouldn't have been my first call but i think it was a great call yeah yeah no Um, music is uh, the emotional connection we make with music is incredible i mean my kids have access to all kinds of 3d animations now and like all kinds of very variations of really fast-paced super well-cut special effects driven stuff so but if i want to i can make them watch old disney stuff because yeah. what it lacks in like sort of visual you know excitement compared to what they have access access to uh the music gets them right away yeah they're just like when you say old disney stuff which stuff like uh i don't know um Disney duck, has a 70-year history. The ugly, ugly duckling. Okay. Uh, those, the ones that don't even have dialogue. They just have like the music. Okay. Okay. Oh, you're, you're talking old yeah, yeah. school Disney. Yeah. yeah. All right. So that that's like very far away. And in terms of technology, I mean, it's still beautifully animated, but it's very sort of basic compared to what kids can watch now. Right. Yeah. Um, but yet the music makes it so that they're completely, you know, completely connected to it and. There's also pieces of music just that will work on me, for instance, forever, right? Like, and and like Richard and I, whenever we hear the Cantina song from Star Wars, it makes us laugh, you know. So that's a, that's <laughs> a funny example talking about like expectations and this and that. Yeah. Um, that's an interesting one because. So, let's let's just deconstruct the scene, just like. We all know it as the scene that it is, but let's just take us let's just take a step back from it for a second mm-hmm. and say, okay, we're in. Well, it's a sci it's a sci fi past that is technologically very advanced compared to us, right? But we'll call it futuristic, right? It's um, a, it was a long time ago. It was a long time ago, mm-hmm. but we'll call it futuristic, right? Uh, anyway, science fiction, you know, technologically advanced, uh, and so on, and you know, alien races and all that, and. Now, whereas the score sits outside of the film, right? It's not in the film's world. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you that, mean by that exactly? Like, I, I mean that the the actors can't hear John Williams' score. Okay, right. But in that case, they can. In the mm-hmm. cantina, they can. And it's an interesting choice that he puts like this 1920s Dixieland jazz, right? Being being this thing, and. Of course, I think it works, or I, you know, I think it's, I, you know, we all remember knowing it and loving it, or whatever. Of course, uh, and it's catchy and it's fun and it's playful. Um, and I, actually, to take another step back, it's a dark and sketchy place. Right, we're it's not supposed sure to be about a, it. Uh, like a cesspool of uh, villainy and crime. yeah, yeah. Uh, but juxtaposition, little like yeah, this upbeat band. Music, yeah playing some 1920s <laughs> Dixie ragtime kind of yeah. stuff is just like, it's a great counterpoint to it, especially for what's about to happen. Right. Uh, Spoiler hashtag, alert. Hashtag con first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, there is, uh, you know, so that that's an interesting juxtaposition. I hadn't considered it like that before, but it's also, it's an interesting choice. And I wonder how that decision came about. Because it's also the only time in the entire film where you have that in the entire series that I can think of. Oh, there was a bit of there was a bit of like 
kind of like in the Jabba's palace they was kind yeah of in Jabba's palace they kind of went well they went a little more contemporary at the time it was kind of like an 80s thing a yeah it was more. like a saxophone mm. driven like yeah. yeah and then like <laughs> and like the singer and yeah <laughs> it was a little more it was a little more contemporary that one yeah um, uh, did you hear the force awakens cantina theme it cracked us up immediately yeah yeah like they nailed it it, yeah. was, it was perfect it was like a this guttural like it's like it's like a reggae thing right like whatever yeah like the second rich and i heard it we're like we started giggling we're like that's our theme song for for the next foreseeable future so like yeah for some reason there's this timing there's this then and there i mean the dixie lines thing is easily explained by i guess lucas's whole fascination with you know um world war ii era airplanes and mm. uh, like uh old-timey matinee spaghetti westerns like all of that stuff he dug into for this yeah right? that's that's true i hadn't quite considered but that. it is a very specific choice you're right it, yeah it, I, I guess yeah I, I could see that being sort of like the old western cantina exactly. yeah yeah if you got like the right time piano Prohibition, prohibition uh, time like Al Capone. Sort yeah, of yeah, yeah. Like that. I can see the, the it link works. there. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I hadn't considered. I mean, this like is that. the stuff he would have grown up on, right? Yeah. He would have heard this type of music as a kid. Uh, played pretty much in every. I don't know. He would have probably heard it. There were not cabarets, but like people used to go listen to live band, right? yeah. big band music. Yeah. So um, maybe that's where he. What about the Ewoks? With the Ewok song that was eventually changed. <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't even know what kind of music that would be. Do you think that they were all those people were were singing? Like, the, could they hear the music, or were they just kind of dancing around to nothing? Oh, on set. Yeah. Oh, they were dancing around to nothing. No, what I, I. Oh yeah. Well, or maybe they, like maybe they had some kind of temp track or like something else to to dance to. But like on film sets, yeah, like so often. Like anytime you see scenes in clubs and stuff, yeah. and you see like people dancing in the background, and, and like the people have to talk like this because it's supposed to be loud in the club, right. but really it's like silent on set. Like, oh, <laughs> there's nothing going on. There. Yeah, that's so it's, creepy. It's, <laughs> that's so weird. There's so many little bits of like, there's so many when you actually work in the in the business and you 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 get to know a few of like the tricks and you know you get that session where there's just two actors yelling with all these people around and you're just like. It's super weird. Yeah, and when you start to you know to notice the green screen stuff more, and you're just like, mm. like, oh man, I try not to ruin. I try not to ruin TV production too much for for my girlfriend, but sometimes I do. You can't help it, but like, <laughs> yeah, sometimes I'm like, she's no, like, I happens. can't believe they got that. Uh, like that they got that thing. I'm like, mm, no, they didn't get an elephant in for the crown. I'm sorry. Right. <laughs> they didn't. They didn't actually have an uh, an animal wrangler come in with an elephant. I don't think they actually flew. To, I forget where it is, like Zimbabwe or Nairobi or whatever, for that ten minute, for that two minute scene. Right. Like hmm. clearly, they did. Like, like, they had a huge budget. Don't misunderstand me. But the huge budget went to the VFX artist to make that elephant look really good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah, I can't get that picture out of my mind of, of all the Ewoks dancing around to no music <laughs> <laughs> with their eyes like no eyelids the stuff of nightmares man because <laughs> they all had that they had no eyelids I think I mean we already <laughs> so talked about like... this we already talked about this it's it's the it's the throne room scene right like right. it's it, that's that's what it is it's just like yeah <laughs> or like it's also funny um uh if you hear um uh, if you ever see I feel like a I'm wondering if, may, if I'm making this up now, but if you see the scenes uh, 
where David Prowse, the actor inside Darth Vader's costume, oh, right. is the... saying the lines mm. as opposed to James Earl Jones. I've never actually watched him. What did they sound like? Oh, he doesn't sound anything like him. Does is he sound like muffled because of the mask? Probably a little right? bit. Yeah, I, I can't. I can't remember. I think I saw it like at some point. But you know, it's just it. It's, it's just, so anticlimactic. Well, yeah, it's just like some random white guy in a in a suit, you know. And it's like, you know, it it lacks like, that. Your lack of faith is disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's quite that. Bad. Have uh, you seen the again? Oral Knots did the the Trump version, oh, where yeah. when they board the rebel ship at the beginning, you know, oh, okay. New Hope. And uh, <laughs> they've maintained all the lines of the surrounding oh, yeah, people, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Lord Vader, we can't find the droids or whatever. We can't find the plans. He's like, and he just they beautifully just took, spliced yeah, in the sticks, Trump stuff. The Trump sticks, the best sticks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just, like, and it works because normally, if they had dubbed anything else over it, it would be like, well, this doesn't work because he's not responding to what people are saying. He's just saying what he wants to say. And you're like, but with Trump, that's like magically. That's that's, that's exactly what it is. Congruent with reality, he just doesn't. He's not listening at all to what you're saying. He's just he's got stuff to say, yeah. and he'll just wave his arms. Great stuff, you know. Great stuff, the yeah. best. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I love it. Anyway. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, uh, another Oral Nuts thing that I fucking love is uh, a scene from Dark Knight Rises. They went to town on Bane. Like, they couldn't get enough. For them, that was an open invitation. Whenever there's a character, you know, there's this, like, running gag. Maybe you know about this, about Christopher Nolan's films and not being able to hear the dialogue on cert- with certain actors for some reason. Oh, yeah. Particularly Tom Hardy is, like, he's become this this. I don't know if it's the way he talks or there's something about it where they just cannot, especially in the in the Dark Knight Rises, like Bane was a fiasco, just his voice and right, yeah, and that was the that was the fixed version we got in the because the- apparently it was even worse before. Wow. So of course the oral knots when go to town on Bane, like they've extracted every scene from the movie and have made a new sketch with it, and they took the scene at the football field where they take everyone hostage and they blow up the yeah. football field for some reason. I'm still not clear what the reason was, but anyway, and it's Bane kidnapping everyone be- or holding everyone hostage because he wants to rap. He wants to freestyle rap, <laughs> <laughs> right? But in the Bane voice, he's like, Bane, Bane, I'm quite insane. Like he's just doing his thing. Bane is my name. But they've got the acoustics like really yeah, yeah, well. And then, he, and then like they cut the music and you hear like, you suck. <laughs> like, <laughs> who said that? <laughs> Blow it up, <laughs> kill everybody. Well, just <laughs> kill like Vader, like his, his his mouth is covered, so they can just do whatever. Yeah, they you've want, got free reign. Right. right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, and that's a signature sound. Did you? So, what do you make of that? Like, how does a huge billion dollar <clears throat> film like The Dark Knight Rises or any of those movies, like, how do they fuck up the the, the dialogue sound? How does that happen? Um. Well, okay. There's there's a few things to this. Um, I'll try and keep this like not too technical. Yeah. Um, in theory, especially with a character who has a voice covering in his co- in his uh, in his costume, everything is going to be recorded in pristine studio conditions. So, in theory, there is no question that they have the best audio recording for his voice possible. Like, no question. Okay. Um, that being said, one of the challenges, and I mean. This is true of any of any film and of any character, you know. Matching ADR to picture is another thing. Um, it has uh, to sound like it's coming out of that person. Yeah. So uh, ADR for the listeners is additional dialogue recording, um, and basically, you know, oftentimes 
you have to re-record actors saying certain lines or you have to add in certain words to make a sentence make sense because of how they cut the film or whatever. So the point is, but when you record it in studio, you're lacking a certain, it's usually up close, you're lacking a certain, it doesn't necessarily match the film audio, the, the stuff that was recorded on set in the same way. So, so that being said, with a character like Bane, yeah, it's all recorded in pristine conditions, but then they have to treat it in a way that makes it feel like it fits in the scene, into the picture, right? Okay, he's far away, but he's speaking into a microphone, and it's in a football stadium. Well, what does that sound like? But it's he's got the he's got the mouth covering, so we've got to muffle it a bit, and it's, his voice is maybe a bit coarse, so we're gonna maybe add a bit of distortion or something like. So there's a lot of processing going on. And I could see each of those steps is maybe contributing to how that can muddy the waters a bit. Right. Combine that with the fact that when you've got a film like Batman, uh, Dark Knight Rises, you know, again, it's one of those films with a lot of, depends on the scene exactly, but lots of sound effects and lots of, um, you know, lots of music as well. And, you know, I'm sure they have talented mixing, uh, yeah, re-recording mixers. that's what mixers. I don't understand. It uh, can't possibly but, be a lack of talent. But, so, again, I'll try not to get too technical with this, but uh, I was doing some research to, to properly understand, um, you know, mix. Because uh, there's been a lot of development in the past five, sort of five years, we'll say, of new audio standards, new standards for audio mixing for for podcasts, for TV, and this all came about in great part because of um, uh, commercials were really, really loud on television, like so much louder than their... Yeah, yeah they would just jump like by yeah, five was, decibels. Well, like 10 or 15 or 20. It, right. was, it was a lot. Yeah. And it was a bit much. And so they, in 2011, 2012, the U.S. government and various governments around the world uh, enabled legislation... Uh, enacted, enabled, Enacta, enacted, yeah, yeah, legislation that uh, put a sort of a standard in place for broadcast, which is okay. All content must respect this norm, and let's just go with that. You can't, you can't, you can't just jack the volume on whatever you're putting in. Yes, yeah. So everything has to, everything has to reflect this new thing, and with that, there was a new uh, way of measuring audio quality. Uh, the average level of your uh, of your audio for your entire project. So using digital tools. So the old tools have been around for you know decades and decades. The old uh, measurement systems, but now we have some new modern ones mm -hmm. that can do some cool stuff. And so we found this new measurement system called loudness units. And so you know that does help us, but at the same time. It's also become an issue where because films, like going back to film now, where there isn't, uh, there's a standard, but it's complicated. Like if it had, if there was a relationship between audio playback levels and film and, uh, and theaters, uh, the relationship status would be it's complicated. Like, right. so basically films <laughs> have gotten a lot louder than they used to be. Uh, and greater dynamic range as well. So the louds are louder and the quiets are quieter, and it's it's theoretically more engaging. Mm -hmm. The problem is that the louds, as soon as they get too loud and audiences complain, 
the theaters just turn the play back down. So now things can get too quiet. And, you know, because it moves everything because it moves everything. Right. They're just saying, turn everything down. Right, they don't. They can't just go like, oh, it's 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 the explosions. They can't dial down the explosions. Yeah, like without and like if you told the sound mixer that like theoretically there's the technology for that, but if you told the sound mixer, well, we're gonna add a compressor and it's just gonna cut things, like they would freak out at that. That's not a good solution either. Hmm. So, on the digital uh, cinema playback systems, the, the the standard number for playback for audio playback is seven. But some theaters are going as low as three and a half and four. So balancing those issues can be complicated. So to You're answer saying, this question yeah. about Bain, yeah. there are lots of places where this might have gotten a bit complicated. Um, it could have been at the recording process. It could have been at the mixing process. It could have been at it the theater been, yeah, process. Like, uh, I don't think it was recording because, again, they had... They should have, yeah. Yeah, they had complete flexibility there. The choice of editing and sound design in that and mixing, that's one area for possible problems. Mm -hmm. And then on when you add to that the playback level, you know, it's amazing what that, you know, if they like the the numbers on the playback system don't refer to decibels, but you know, if you lose three dB, it's amazing how much you might lose from, from right. dialogue it might make it it's from all like, tied together so like it might you, make it from really comfortable to you're just like like you're kind of like you're unconsciously straining to hear it or right. something you know like, yeah because you took that you took that sound that was maybe um bothering you down 3db but also everything that was at the at the bottom went yeah. down 3db and they disappear sometime below the line right yeah and and i'm just saying it doesn't even have to be at the very bottom because your voice is in the middle usually mm. kind of at a good place in the middle um but the reality is that, you know, if you just take what was in the sweet spot and you just move it down a bit, well, then it's no longer quite right. Mm. So yeah. that's... And they deliberately made his voice kind of tinnier, right? Yeah. Yeah. For, to, to mimic that mask right. effect. Yeah. They yeah. basically had to create, a, I guess, a, a, almost like a Foley-like environment, like a, like a space mm. it, within the mask and like imagine what that would sound like, right? If, if I mean, they had the budget to do that. I mean, yeah, there there are lots of there are lots of great tools. It's funny that you say tinier because I would have ex I would have expected um, usually if you cover um, if you cover a sound source um, and the mic is close or whatever, or like you know if you imagine a mask on someone's face, you usually cut a lot of high frequency because high frequency is very directional. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I feel like they did the opposite personally. I, yeah, I mean, but then so maybe they did that to make it more led, like intelligible because maybe. our brains are a little more sensitive to the natural harmonics of the voice, which are around. I mean, again, getting very technical here, you know, three kilohertz uh, frequency. That's so, what we're sensitive to. The... That's yeah. That, those are that's where the natural overtones of the voice kind of really ring out, and that's what we that's what we hear uh, quite clear. Like. It's we'll amazing. That hear. adds a lot of intelligibility. Mm. And so if you, if you, like, if we cut that on the podcast, send it to me. Maybe I'll give an example. Okay. <laughs> uh, It'll be know. the best sounding podcast we've ever done. <laughs> Sorry, go on. No, but uh, so again, and that's what I mean. Like there's, there are possibly many spots in the editing and mixing where they're trying to balance out 
and this is true of many aspects of film, uh, it's always a balance of, um, it's a balance of creative artistic decisions versus, um, you know, practical getting the message across uh, decisions. Um, and here's a, a different, uh, but I always think of an interesting uh, example. Uh, if you've watched any Star Trek series, TV show more so than the, uh, than the movies, mm-hmm. but in the movies too, uh, anytime they cut to a, to, a sh- uh, to a shot of the ship traveling through space, you'll hear that like that little drone, that little hum of like, oh, you hear the ship in space. Mm-hmm. You know, for the science savvy among you, you'll yeah, know that, that you're not really going to hear anything in space. Right, right. So they, you know, there's, a, there's sort of this rule in film that, you know, in modern productions, of course, uh, that, you know, there should always be some kind of sound, even if it's just a quiet, natural, kind of room, neutral yeah. room tone, there has to be some sort of audio associated with the thing. So to have nothing would have been weird. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Star Trek, they had their decision to, we have this ship sound. And it's about making the audience feel something is there, bringing that ship to life. Mm-hmm. I think it's they... not, it's not, it's not a, that's not a, like, that's a creative and artistic decision from a very practical, like, we've got to do something for the audience here. But then the counterexample to this, and, it's interesting. Uh, I, I mean, I like it, but it's also, it's, as someone who watched a lot of Star Trek, it just feels so different, is Firefly. Because mm-hmm. in Firefly... Or Battlestar Galactica. Oh, oh they do that there too? I think yeah. it was the same people too. Right. Uh, yeah. they, they, don't, they don't have ship noise on when you're in space, and all they have is music, mm-hmm. you know? And again, it's like, that was a very strong artistic creative decision to to, to get closer to the to the scientific it's like yeah they're saying we're going to be realistic about this but then of course it's film and you know well or tv or whatever like you know the music being there doesn't make any sense either though right right and this this is actually like this story goes back years and years to um an old uh, hitchcock film and bernard herman doing the scores and they're like, well, we don't, it's, you know, the film's, uh, I forget the name of the film, uh, but it's, you know, uh, Survivors in the Sea. You know, they're all alone on this boat or whatever. And, you know, the director's like, well, we're not going to need, or the producer was like, well, we're not going to need music, you know. like He's like, he's like, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, where's the orchestra? Like, they're on a boat in the middle of the ocean. Where's the orchestra? And he's like, where's your camera? <laughs> exactly you know and it's like <laughs> i mean that's a good point that's a good point you know the and, fuck are you filming this from <laughs> yeah and and it is i mean it is a good point right it's like you know film is always sort of straddling these boundaries of like well we all know like we all go in knowing what we're getting into you yeah. know we're, we're no longer in that that first film screening where people thought the train was going to hit them we know when we go into a film or watching TV, we know, like... We get it. We, we suspend cool. the yeah. disbelief and we, we say, I get it. This is the world I'm in now. And, but it's interesting from the creator perspective of what are you, you going to suspend, you know? Like, what do you want the audience to believe and not to believe? And what is that world that you're creating? Those, I think, 
from sound and music perspectives, those are super interesting. Again, with Firefly, they chose to be realistic with the sound in space, but you've got music playing. Well, where's that music coming from, right? Where, mm. where, where's your little uh, guitar fiddle band? You know, like right again. But, but again, this is the the tradition of an old form of theater, right? Where you had the orchestra kind of giving you a little something to to like you know tease the emotions up accentuate the scenes give it a little you know or just like the silent film era where the guy just like played the little saloon music over the over the images you know it's an old relationship uh what do you think of uh i've been i've been re-watching daredevil um and uh, season one or two i've i've watched both i'm finishing up season two and i realized that season one was in many ways a more a tighter show yeah a tighter so much tighter the, uh, the two was was recognizable and was along the same lines but still felt uh still felt this part like it was um a little bit disjointed anyway my point I is felt like it could have lost an episode or two but anyways yeah easily yeah, yeah. some meandering um yeah. but and man i can't imagine what the punisher fans were saying yes i can't imagine either <laughs> like we've got punisher yeah wait he does nothing in the show yeah, yeah. and he and he's mentally challenged yeah, yeah. like like oh and my god weird, oh my god and he sounds like he sounds a little bit like like uh he's got like a weird twang in his accent like he sounds like he's from the south Right. Yeah. Like he's supposed to be. A, a, I kept seeing a, Shane from. Yeah, of course. I I know. He's supposed yeah. to be like an Italian, New York, you know, like Francesco. Yeah. Instead of head rubbing Shane, but anyway, that's a topic within itself. Head <laughs> rubbing Shane is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, that's yeah, a topic. That's a topic. Itself. Yeah. Like we're we'll get lost into a. But I'm just thinking if I'm a, I'm a sound designer, I'm a I'm a sound engineer, or I'm a composer, I have anything to do with sound. That show is like a wet dream. Right to, to yeah. like, so the show is about a guy who who basically gets around mostly through his hearing, hmm. and uh, they've even developed this brilliant little story device of whenever he there's no plot line le- leading him to the next step of the investigation, he can just go on the roof and like just close his eyes and yeah. just move it, his head around a little bit and then tune out and try to find the the radio frequencies and then find so like I don't know from a sound perspective, yeah, the, would, I, I how mean, would you rate it? Did they do a good job? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, generally speaking, all of the Marvel stuff on on uh, on Netflix, sound and music wise, I've generally been a big fan of. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I thought they did a lot of great stuff, and I, I mean, honestly, now. I can be a bit squeamish when it comes to like really bloody things, unless it's like if it's a really gory film, like okay, like I, again uh, at that I point know, I can yeah. be like oh, okay, whatever, Rome, like yeah. yeah, like a Kill Bill, or like in Kill Bill or something, like I, it can just be like okay, like it's really cartoon kind of violence. But I felt like with Daredevil, and I thought this was interesting from a again from a creative perspective. Um, Netflix isn't bound by broadcasting standards practices. Mm-hmm. Right. Man, some of those fight scenes—they yeah. make me squirm. Yeah, so like, it was a dark, dark series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I yeah. was like, I was like, oh, uh, yeah. Some uh, people like, like right off. I think the first one that when I went like, oh Jesus, uh, is the uh, when the, one of the Russian guys gets his head exploded in the door. Mm. Like, like Kingpin just like destroys his yeah. head, and you're like, and you get the it doesn't cut away. <laughs> it's just like fully on. Then the other guy when he gets let go, he like impales his face on the fence like yeah. i'm never gonna talk and you're like okay 
Next Sometimes level. I don't realize how dark things are until yeah. I watch with Sylvie with with my girlfriend. Yeah, and then I just I, I look over at her and she's just like pale as a ghost. <laughs> her mouth is like <laughs> I'm completely desensitized. Yeah, but, you're like, oh yes, that's disturbing. Yes, <laughs> indeed. The last movie I was working on, where where we showed the movie to the studio and the music was dubbed maybe too db too quiet and we had a big meeting about how the story doesn't work how scenes don't work how shots don't work ended up in it like a complete recut and that was terrible didn't work uh we put it back to where we were three months earlier turned the music up a little bit and i literally got a phone call from the head of the studio going so so what happened you know what why why are those shots that were meaningless to me now suddenly have a context, have an emotional resonance. I'm going, well, we got the balance right. You know, that's the difference between art and science in a way. Now, you, you, you've performed, you do live performance? Um, I have. I haven't done it in a while. Because mm-hmm. um, I, I saw you with a trumpet in a picture, and I figured you probably know how to play it. Yeah, I mean, so I got my whole start, you know, doing, you know, playing trumpet in like orchestras and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, something I enjoy, um, but I haven't really, like, I haven't played in orchestras in a while. You've been I, in the band. I back in twenty thirteen, I played in like a Balkan style brass band. Oh, nice! Which is like super fun. We played played quite a few shows. Uh, like we'd only we. We started in like January. I started with them in January. I think we played an average of one or two shows a month for quite a few months, mm-hmm. and so it was it was a lot of fun. It was all covers, the one or two originals. So this is like like people from the like that area, that region, kind of. No, not it, even. It was a bunch of like bunch of like young people. Yeah, a bunch of. Young Montrealers, mm-hmm. uh, well, not even young, uh, some older, some younger. Okay, but like not, it wasn't like... Uh, no, uh, we just love that music. And okay. uh, a friend of mine who's actually a violinist but plays a bit of trumpet was like, oh, I was looking to... She's like, I'm in this band. I wanted to play some trumpet more and we're looking for more trumpet players. It was like, it's a big band. We're like yeah. 12 people. Okay, that's a lot. Yeah, yeah, it's like, you know, three trumpets, two trombones, three saxes and a clarinet. And, you know, it was like... And you know, two percussionists. It's so it was a mix of like so we did so we did a little more on the Balkan style, but we also did like a few New Orleans numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, Balkan uh, style, second line. Like I, I can't help but think of like Russian circus style um, music with the bears on motorcycles. <laughs> no, I wouldn't say it's quite like that. It's 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 a little more like. Um, Yes, for the listeners out there, uh, it's uh, it's a little more in the style of um, oh man, what's his name? Scott. Uh, it's uh, like there's we did this one guy. Um, uh, oh, I'm forgetting now. I'm trying to blank. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Mulati. Um, uh, jazz Eth- Ethiopian jazz was like we did a cover from one of his things. Okay. I'm forgetting his name exactly. Oh man, I'm terrible. We also did like a few American groups. So yeah, like I said, we did some second line stuff. Um, uh, we did Brooklyn by the Young Blood Young Blood Brass Band, and it was a whole mix of stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's like it's generally pretty funky, and like the Balkan stuff is a little more in the exotic scales thing, but still in that kind of like funky like 
you know, where the rhythms are just like, you know, and just, uh, and then, yeah, like, it's, one of it's, the, it's like feel good music, right? It's like, oh yeah. It's like pure, like you're going to want to dance to this. Right. And it was, it was a lot of fun. You know, I, I, I was thinking recently about how I kind of missed that. Uh, I just didn't have the time. Like that music is very demanding chop wise tr- you know, for the trumpets uh, for the trumpet. So it was like, I just didn't have enough time to do my work and play that much mm-hmm. uh, and do that many shows. I just, I just didn't with have wind, time. I mean, with wind instruments, you almost... Uh, Mulatu Astake. Astat, Astatke. Yeah. Astatke is the name of the guy. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, wind instruments also like, there's, it's, are very physically demanding, right? Yeah. And like as an orchestral background trumpet player, I'm used to going, I'm used to going like one minute of intensity to sitting around for five minutes mm-hmm. to another minute of intensity. This was like two hours or an hour and a half of blasting. Of blasting. <laughs> it was a lot. Like I just, I, my chops couldn't handle it. It was, it was, it was, I mean, it was a lot of fun and I, I kind of wish I was doing it, but, uh, but recently like on this new, uh, soundtrack that I'm working on, this new film that I'm scoring, uh, I like started playing around with some beats and I was just like, and then I was like trying out like this, uh, this plugin called Vocal Synth, which is like it's designed for vocals to do like vocoding and add harmonies and stuff like that. I was like, well, I'm gonna try it on my trumpet. I got it as part of my plugin package. I'm gonna try it on my trumpet, and I was like, it was actually kind of cool. So like, all of a sudden, I was thinking, maybe I should like like obviously the track I'm producing is just me at home, but then I was like, maybe I should see if a few friends would want to like get together and maybe try out a bit of this. Because it's kind of new. It's kind yeah, of it's like I was like. Sound. Yeah, and especially for me, like, again, coming from the classical background, this is, like, a bit different. And it kind of, it just felt like it might be fun to try exploring that. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I was thinking about maybe, I wouldn't, I would make it a little, I would make it more of a hobby. Like, I wouldn't try and make a real go of this band. Okay. I think my ultimate goal would be to have fun, do a show once every two months or something uh you know we get together for for a couple of rehearsals we we go through a few tunes and then you know because i have access to facilities and and i know how to do all this stuff i'd record it i'd record it and maybe try and like license it to to other films or something you yeah, know yeah. i might try that's a bit that. of a business too right the the uh, writing and licensing yeah yeah it game. is yeah. yeah so um i've currently been commissioned to uh, write something for a library the theme of the library is like um uh hbo netflix style dramas like themes Mm -hmm. and so i've been tasked with doing um a sound alike for a well-known political drama (laughs) (laughs) wink 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 for those who can't this is that's a a sound alike is literally a thing right yeah, I mean, like give us a a score that's very similar to to X, Y, or Z. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a huge market for people that can do uh, things like I want this to sound exactly like Red Hot Chili Peppers. I want this to sound exactly like this song by this artist, and like that's actually a pretty big thing because it's like you're skirting such a fine line of copyright where you're like, yeah, I was wondering like, about that. Like, how much is there a, a, a standard of how much you have to change before it? Well, no, it's it's. It's whatever is reasonable, okay. right? I mean, it's it it is literally as vague as that because, okay, things that are off the table, lyrics, that's that's a dead like 
off the table. Mm-hmm. Like you copy lyrics, no, that's a problem. You copy a melody verbatim, yeah, that's a, that's a guaranteed thing. Now, where we get into the gray zones, like a chord progression on its own, no. A chord progression, uh, and then the lyric, like the melody is like, oh, well, I just changed two notes. Well, uh. that's silly. But thing. if it's like. Yeah. You change a few notes in the melody and you change the chord progression a bit. Well, then, you know, you're probably in the clear. Right. And, you know, it's it's a fine line. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think, <laughs> let, let me put it this way. It's, it's one of those things, right? You won't, you don't know how to say it. Um, you don't know how to, you don't know how to describe it. Uh you don't know how to describe it, but when you see it or hear it, you'll know it. Like oh, right. like pornography. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just gonna say. Sorry, I hit the mic, everyone. That's cool. Um, uh, yeah, I was just gonna give that example. It's like mm. pornography. There are many beautiful artistic fo- photographs of of naked people, and could even be in sexual positions, mm. or you know, very intimate things. Mm. There's that mystical. But we line. know. But we. Everyone knows without knowing where it is. Everyone knows what that line is. They can look at something and say, mm, "Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, that's not appropriate." Definitely not <laughs> that appropriate. Yeah, yeah, it crossed that mystical line. It's like it's like the international time zone line, right? <laughs> like it makes no real sense. Flags just go up. Yeah, but you know, you cross it, and then all of a sudden it's like, "Yeah, okay, oh, we're on the other side yeah. now." <laughs> the sound alike thing is really funny. I, I remember um, one of the worst examples of sound alike fest that i've ever seen was back in uh, the early 90s or maybe late late 90s uh when i used to watch wrestling and you had like a wwe and wcw who were like competing for ratings every monday they were neck and neck and wwe was always the better produced show it had like top-notch editing top-notch sound their montages of events were like you were like you were like i I gotta get this pay-per-view even though you didn't care really about who won and then on the other side, WCW just kind of, you could feel they kind of just went with whatever was cheapest, right? So one of the big features of WWE has always been the entrance music. Like yeah. some of them are iconic till this day, right? The, the Hulk Hogan one, the Ultimate yeah. Warrior one, et cetera. And WCW didn't have either the budget or the interest in. So what they did is they just hired somebody. I'm figure, I feel like it's one guy. <laughs> they hired this one guy and he essentially just aped every... Uh, every t- like rock song that was a hit during that period. <laughs> yeah. So you'd have guys coming out to these weird pseudo versions of "Smells Like Teen Spirit" <laughs> with like three notes off. Yeah, yeah. yeah you go it'd be like dun 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 like yeah, instead exactly. of like, right. And it was just it was hilarious. It would just be like every wrestler would come out to a shitty sound like. I always wonder <laughs> and, what the prosecution is like, you know, like what that deliberation looks like. You just like when they get dragged go into, into court like a courtroom yeah. and then they play the two pieces of music and then people who are, you know, yeah, not yeah. educated at all in music are just kind of like, does that sound? Well, enough? there's probably or specialized. Or like music scientists are just breaking it apart. There's probably it. specialized I mean, judges yeah, you, now for that. No, know? I think, I th- well, if, if, I mean, if, if a jury's involved, but I think no matter what, I think, yeah, they might bring in musical experts to to make corroborate the yeah to to make claims and say uh, my expert opinion is that this is similar based on it matches all these criteria or something Mm. but see you bring up a really interesting example it smells like teen spirit which is just like if i play those three chords in that rhythm in that sound 
even if no it doesn't even have to be the same sound right i could do that on like an acoustic guitar on like a classical nylon string guitar (laughs) ukulele it's gonna sound like everyone will know exactly it's gonna smell like teen spirit yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) everyone everyone knows like well done everyone knows exactly right away like they know that line now it's like so now we're gonna take it a step back and we're gonna say okay like Let's take those same chords and the same rhythm, but let's slow it down. So, okay, no, that's still pretty similar, right? But okay, so now we're gonna change the chords, right? So like da 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 da. -da. Oh wait, that's kind of like another song. Yeah, exactly. Uh, But I mean, those (laughs) are those are very familiar uh, stomping grounds for song. You ever seen the Axis of Awesome uh, video? They're a stand-up group. And they're musicians, yeah. and there's this very familiar, very famous piece they do where the guy starts playing like the the chords that are in every pop song, yeah, yeah, yeah. and they just go on this medley of like a hundred oh, top yeah. I songs, mean, and they're it's he's always just you know uh, with or without you uh, could uh, like he it just never ends. There was there and was a great hilarious. there was a great one that went around like two years ago or something uh, a video showing. Uh, with a with someone showing how all country songs are exactly the same, right? And did a cut in Pro Tools with like all the different songs, but like mixing and matching the, uh, mixing and matching the the rhythm or like the the sec the song the sections of the song. Okay, I think he maybe tempo matched them a little bit, uh-huh. but you don't have to do it that much. It's like seamless transition between right. songs. It's so similar. I mean, you can tell it's a different singer or whatever, but Man, so much about it is exactly the well, same. Well, they did that. Somebody did that with the Nick, Nickelback. Uh, oh yeah, uh, <laughs> took three of their songs and like uh, just uh, put them over each other. And while it sounds, the only dissonance really is that the singing at different parts. Yeah. But it like it all holds, even though they're different t- tempos. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It could just be this one big rock <laughs> one mass, opera yeah. thing, and it sounds exactly the same and all. It's so, yeah. so this comes to a really interesting. Uh, something that I thought about, like I wasn't sure what the plan here was with the podcast, mm-hmm. but I, I, I had a few things that I thought would be interesting to talk about, which is the scary future that uh, is in front of all of us, which is, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll give it away now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about automation, right? Like right. computer automation and deep learning and everything, it's going to take over our lives in the next 10 to 15 years much in the way that the internet did like oh when people started saying like oh like using bbs's and like things like that in the late 80s early 90s and people weren't thinking like oh man this is really gonna change like the day-to-day user wasn't thinking like wow this is really gonna change no it was like the cb radio guys right it was like a cool thing you did with buddies and yeah yeah. but then you know when the internet came out and even then people were like well it's kind of like crappy and like what can i do like i got a lycos thing on netgear and yeah yeah, it's using my phone line and like (laughs) how will i contact people like you know not really understanding the full implication of it and then you know 15 years after the internet well then we have the iphone yeah and like people don't realize how much i've like i think more people realize what iphone was going to do but even then right you know or the president tweeting yeah. Right. A president of the United States <laughs> or, using Twitter or, or, or as a president platform. becoming president because of their tweets or right. things like that. Yeah. Social media so success. Yeah. We're like it's so hard for for people to grasp at the at these early stages. But what like, what's the danger that you you think okay. we're on the cusp of? So the reality is, like, 
people, like, we'll start with people. People have done studies of popular songs and everything and said, oh, you know, like, most of the top 100, uh, top 100 songs of the past 40 years, they fall into these, they've done these studies and they say they fall into these musical categories. Mm. A lot of them were this tempo, this key, this thing. And the ballads were all like this, and the pop songs were all like this, and you know, it's all being quantified like, and yeah, yeah like that, music that was analysis, like, yeah, just like kind of like Pandora was doing that, I think for yeah, this for was a like a, this was university research that yeah. like did this thing and said, oh, to write the perfect pop song, here's how you do it. But it's like a right. that, that's a great thesis, but at the same time, you're so saying the pra- so on the practical oops. level, it's already a thing that computers can generate, can you know, with the right programming can generate musical content. So a composer friend of mine, composer friend, wrote a program, you know, you know, uh, in, in Xcode, uh, that can, you know, automatically generate, uh, sort of improvise, I guess, if you will, nonstop, um, in the style of Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata. Okay. It can freestyle in that. In yeah, that. and so it'll just go on forever playing different chords <laughs> and the chord progressions. You know, if you know Moonlight Sonata, it's going to feel a bit weird because you're like, why isn't it going where it's supposed to go? Mm. But, you know, it never feels like, wow, you're way out to lunch. It's not like... It doesn't sound like... It sounds like this could be someone do, playing this music. Yeah, I mean, again, and the 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 the, the finesse of the performance itself, you sure. know, is maybe a little static. But uh, the average listener... Well, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is just from the musical content side, right? I mean, basically, he's just generating MIDI. Mm-hmm. Um, and MIDI, for those who don't know, is just like basic musical information in the digital world. It's mm-hmm. just like digital text, but digital music information. Um, you know, he's just telling a program to generate MIDI notes and to say, oh, play these notes and follow these chord progressions and do something like this. And improvise for hours. It could go on for days and years. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a relatively simple application. And he did one for, like, improvising a jazz piano solo as well, which, again... And it was impressive? As, its, in terms its, of the potential. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Like, if you just heard it on its own, you'd be like, oh, that's kind of neat. But then as you start to, like, go to the next step and to the step beyond, and you start to think, like, will I have a job in 10 years? Hmm. Now... Obviously, if you're going to sc- score a Star Wars film, yeah, they're probably going to hire a real composer. For now. <laughs> but when yeah, do we yeah. get to the AlphaGo stage? But, right. Uh, where yeah. they can do it better than humans. Well, so before we even get to there, let's just take an example of Disney, you know, uh, or, you know, some big broadcaster or studio. This is a company with millions and billions of dollars. Mm-hmm. Money is no object to them. But every year, they have to hire out because they produce hundreds and hundreds of hours of content, they have to hire composers to score or write music. Right. Medical benefits, etc. No, no. No medical benefits? We don't get medical benefits. What are you talking about? Not even at that level? No, no. Because we're freelancers. Okay. And it's even worse in the States because they're they're hired under work for hire clauses where... Oh, like uh, prostitutes. Kind yeah. Of, yeah. So they they get all the work out of you, and then they but they don't they don't have to take care of you in any way. Or no, pro- no, exactly. No promises, uh, and they don't even like. We don't have the same laws in Canada. We don't have that term, though. People will sometimes try and use that clause in in contracts, but it doesn't make sense in Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those listening, mm-hmm. 
uh, we have work under the course of employment, and that means that people will hire. You're, it's understood that you're being brought on on a short-term contract, but you're being provided a studio and a place to work and benefits and all that. So theoretically, yes, in Canada, that would be the situation, sure. but no one does that. You're hired as a freelancer or your company is hired as a freelancer and whatever. But the, that's, but the point that's, is, the danger you're seeing the, is... The danger we're seeing is that, okay, let's take all the crappy reality TV that we see on television right now. Most of the music is generally unremarkable. Yeah, very generic. Yeah. Now, and again, imagine if you're a big company that produces hundreds and hundreds of hours of content, and, you know, and in addition to everything, you're signing over the performance royalty rights, well the performance royalty rights generally reside with the composer or you have to buy them out or whatever. But if they could invest, like, again, my composer friend wrote a program, a very simple one. Right. If they could spend a million, two million, five million dollars to invest in developing a program that could generate endless hours of musical content for free. Again, yours. Even yeah. if even if it's just the musical content, and then you have to have someone go in and refine it and make it a little bit better and do a few tweaks and this and that. Well, you've still but just, just generating it. hours of musical content. Yeah. You know. I see. I see the the concern. Fire I sorry. Sorry. What's that? Copyright fire. Copyright fire. Uh, I I see a very direct parallel with like uh, the, the same concerns that ha occurred with uh, CG special like special effects, right? Like visual effects and things right. like that where it kind of put a certain type of professional out of business. Um, you know, the animatronic people and the motion capture, the motion capture stuff and yeah. uh, was hit. But I mean, it seems like that still hasn't completely gone away. Like it, there, there's an initial impact and then the, the public decides if they want to keep it or not, right? Right. But what I'm saying is, so on the big budget productions, I think we'll still see real composers for the next, for the foreseeable future. Mm -hmm. That's no question. I'm talking about all the stuff that we don't watch, like that. The indie that stuff. You and I don't know. I'm talking about the scores and scores of crappy reality television. Right, okay, okay. I'm talking about soap the operas. scores and scores soap operas. Big Brother. Uh, Big Brother. I'm talking like uh, travel documentaries. Yeah. Uh, Trash TV. Trash TV. I mean, some of it's even okay. Yeah. Uh, but just the stuff that's this. It's there's there's Qual so much broad quantity over quality. Yeah, but the makeover shows the. Yeah, the makeover shows the everything. Right. Yeah. It's 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 always somewhere. Even if it's from a library, somewhere down the line, someone composed a composer wrote and excuse me a composer wrote and produced that. You know. And you see that as potentially just getting wiped out. Yeah, because you can have a computer, in, you know, with. Very little effort, just be like, da, 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 da. okay, I've got all these things, and I can, I can, you know, the audio editing and the audio processing is also very advanced now. And again, can't just think of it in terms of today's technology, think of it in terms of like five, ten years' technology, yeah, yeah, yeah. where all of a sudden, you know, again, for five million dollars or whatever, you can they just got everything, they just got, mm -hmm. they got a computer program that can not only compose, but can analyze the film and say, okay, I see where all the cuts are. I see where all the video cuts are. I see where all the dialogue is, so I can take the dialogue into account. I can tell where the commercial breaks are, or there's markers you can add to the video so that the computer will know. React to it accordingly. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and it's then, like Illustrator. And, and, it'll, and it'll mix and match and do everything perfectly. 
Mm. You know, or it can it can hear the dialogue and adjust the tone of the music accordingly. Right. Like this is this is not this is not even that futuristic is what mm. I'm trying to say. No, no, not like, at all. There are already com- there are already computer programs that can compose music. Yeah, I, that's I, already a thing. I talked to a guy something like five years ago um, who um, worked at a think tank, yeah. and he was a computer or audio guy, and he was talking about how him and his friends were elaborating a automated mixing system yeah. that would do all the automated like i think they were trying to sell it to like sony or whatever yeah. so so that you don't have to regulate anything like it auto mixes everything for you yeah and then the i mastering think thing. yeah the mastering thing. and then like they um they started their little startup and then i met um, um so i know the person who did their community management online like yeah. was there and every day like the the gates opened and the sound engineers were just like sending them death threats yeah 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 people in the industry were just like you sons of bitches you fucking you bottom feeding da 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 i got like, kids to feed yeah. and food on the table you're killing you yeah. know and, and and i understand both sides of that conversation right i can understand why they developed this because we have the technology why not explore this but yeah it represents a very real sort of change that's threat. yeah yeah to to a, a way of life but and and you know when i talk to other composers about this and you know and even if you want to ignore the 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 automatic composing side of things mm-hmm. you know there's no reason why our jobs can't be shipped to china right like where oh but the personal no, I'm, t- I'm talking about all those jobs where it's just like we need a hundred variations of that and i've got you know i've got a hundred you know i run a studio in china where i've got a hundred people that will work for nothing will work for nothing and produce you know and they some of them have studied in the states and you know like and they speak english devoted and, entirely just to making things sound like avatar yeah exactly like like and, and there's a thousand people and who the, work there. the crazy part is that you know even china even china is automating its factories right. like is is making a push towards automating its factories like this is not like a this is not an if this is a when mm-hmm. and yes the automatic mixing stuff you know if you load up your multi if you upload your multi-track and you're going to get back the thing you know at the for the time being at least it still sounds like crap. Right. But again, this is a this is a question of when and not and if. how many versions. Yeah, and patches. Yeah. Yeah. You know, within a couple of years, they as can it get is, them. like I use a I use a I use an audio plugin that like intelligently listens to whatever uh, audio track it's on mm-hmm. and says, okay, this is a bass track, or oh, okay, this is a vocal track, and I'm hearing problem spots here, here, and here. Uh, I'm gonna. This is my suggestion for an EQ. So this isn't like a preset where it's just like, oh, this is what makes this generally sound like this. It's like, no, no, no. It's even this providing is, su- uh, suggestion counseling. Yeah, it's live. Su- it's like a live suggestion. Like listens to the track. It says, this is how I think we should treat the audio. Wow. And you know what? Like, and it you can set it to like subtle, medium, and aggressive, mm-hmm. and like different types of profiles and stuff. And this doesn't cost that much. This costs like. You know the basic version is like two hundred bucks, like which is very, very like very this is affordable. this is a consumer level. I mean, sure, you know, prosumer level product for right. for music and. I mean, uh, this happened to editing with Final Cut and stuff like that. Yeah, like Illustrator. Yeah, for, we were looking into one for the for the podcast not long ago. This Ophonic. Uh, oh, I don't know that. Okay. It's like yeah. A, yeah, it's an automatic mastering thing. Right. That kind of applies some compression and like levels things out. And they offer you like 
two month like two hours per month for free. Oh yeah. Of of content. Huh? What I think I and, think and the, like the paid version for what we would need would be like eleven bucks a month or something. Right. So see I this haven't is heard a, it yet, but apparently this is it's a great. Perfect example where fully being fully cognizant that this is this is probably going to affect the the, the work um potential or I should say the contracts is gonna cost certain people professionals jobs, right? Uh, I also see this whole segment of people who are self-producing with no budget things at home mm. and who would love nothing more than to be able to afford a, a professional sound guy right on their show. Right. But it's not a real, like it's not a reality. Yeah, it's not stealing any jobs for us to use that. For well, sure. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, the fact <laughs> yeah, is... Yeah, because you weren't about to hire someone. Exactly. But that's the thing. That's our very specific need. In itself, It it is just a tool, but... Uh, yes, I can see how this, if it follows the same path as many other trades that get outsourced yeah. and, and mass produced in factories, then uh, yeah, I see. I see like why robots is. coming and taking our jobs. I mean, <laughs> yeah, and like there's already an existing example, really in effect uh, on the music side of things, mm-hmm. which is, you know, virtual instruments and, you know, sampled instruments. So for those who don't know, almost all everything you hear and see in TV with the exception of the really big budget shows lost was an exception. Star Trek was, mm-hmm. was one of the last few ones to use live orchestra, but basically everything you've seen on TV for the past 20 years or so is just synthesized instruments or sample, you know, samples of, of real acoustic instruments, but all played through a computer. Like, is that, do you consider that a little bit of heresy in terms of, or I mean, you see that okay, you accept that change. It's just the reality. Mm-hmm. And this is what I'm saying. Like, of course, hiring a real orchestra or a real musician sounds better. And this has also been a huge change of why certain uh, the style of certain modern scores sound the way they do mm-hmm. is in great part affected by the technology that we use. There's a reason why we hear certain string lines. You know, if we hear like all those like low short notes or like those kind of... Uh, you know, ostinato is like da 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 da. Like, this is stuff that sounds as easy to make sound good with our technology because we don't have a budget, you know, and or we're gonna use certain synths or this or that because they sound big and good, and it's you know, it makes our job easy when we have a week to produce forty minutes of music for or two weeks to produce forty minutes of music for a TV show like Twenty Four, right? You know, and you've just got to go. You don't have time to, to, to think. And the reality is that, yeah, performing musicians, like, you know, people that know how to play their instrument have a lot less work now mm. than they did pre-1985. Right. Like, it's just a, a re- lot less. A and, lot less, yeah. And again, it's, to me, it's just an, it's a, it's a when, not an if. Mm-hmm. It's a question of time. And for the time being, you know, I think composing jobs are probably safe for the next five to ten years. I'm not optimistic about my future. <laughs> you know, I'm 31 years old. I'm hoping to maybe do, you know, have a career for the next 35. Well, okay, I've got 25 years uh, to figure out there somehow, yeah. you know? like Yeah, but I mean, also we've seen surges in, in technology where it was the logical next step and it became affordable. And a very good example I was reading this week that... Somebody finally declared 3D television dead. Yeah, I saw that too. Like, yeah, deader than dead. 
Because they're not making them anymore. Exactly. The, yeah. the, the major manufacturers are like, fuck this bullshit. Like, that, that's it, right? They're like 18 pairs of, of glasses made for the TV behind you if you're interested. Right. <laughs> exactly. And there's I'll, a whole... I'll s- sell them to you cheap. <laughs> and there's I'll a- give you a good deal, man. I love you. <laughs> it's too late. Uh, there are a <laughs> bazillion... You may be able to buy some p- pairs of 3D glasses. That's right. Oh yeah, they're gonna you know eBay and uh, yeah it. eBay is gonna start being populated with 3D TVs. I'll, I'll put a link in the description. Yeah, so so <laughs> the fact is is that that was but all no the one rage. asked for 3D film in the first place. So yeah. who's surprised that no right. one's buying 3D TVs? No, they, they, exactly. <laughs> that, that's that's a very good point. It's a very good point. No one asked for this technology. One they, that we've made several times on this show. Yes. <laughs> like, well, there was the this, only people that asked for it were the theaters that paid a shit ton of money for 3D projectors and like, yeah. no, 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 you're releasing your film in 3D. And yes, the people will want to watch it in 3D because we're not going to give them any other options. Option, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's horseshit. But I mean, yeah. like, take those headaches. <laughs> that's right. You take it and you like it. I feel like it was an anti-piracy and you pay thing. And you pay 25 yeah. bucks for it, you know. Yeah, that was the thrust mainly behind it is they were trying to get people to go to the movies again. Yeah. Um, and I think it was like to stop like, I think it was maybe a push by the MPAA or whatever to stop people from using camcorders in the right. In the so theater. they oh, yeah. they couldn't do screeners. Yeah. Although if you watch movie screeners, then you're you don't it's love that you, you don't respect yourself. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, Sorry. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Sorry. I just I just had this image of someone like in the theater with like a camcorder. I was like, wait a second. They would have their phone. What do you mean? <laughs> yeah. What's a camcorder? Yeah. I'm pretty sure after seeing the quality of some of those screeners that like yeah. they were actually using a camcorder. <laughs> yeah. But the, the point is that there's been there's been these big, big uh, like changes and then they don't end up working out. You know, look at uh, how vinyl now is back on top. Like vinyl is huge. Yeah. It's huge. It, it was just a curiosity, a limited edition thing that you did uh, from the, for nostalgia purposes. Uh, and now like that's the almost... I think uh, HMV's main, main uh, sort of apart from all the crap like TV show related yeah. merch that they have, plushies, plushies and and Deadpool bathrobes, mugs <laughs> and mugs, so many mugs, Walking Dead lamps. Which you know, if you have a Walking Dead lamp in your house, like you need to re-examine your life. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. You're, yeah, like, you are uh, you are way too into so this. Like when you turn on the light, does it say coral or like or I don't know? Not even like it's just it just yeah. has the lampshade just has it right. It's like it just anyway. means somebody gave you a gift and they don't know you that well. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, actually, uh, they know uh, you well enough to know that you probably like Walking Dead, but yeah. not that well. To there was know a great joke about them well enough to feel bad if you throw it away. <laughs> right. There's a really good bit about that from uh, one of the comedians last night. Actually, uh, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, the I, I don't want to do the joke, but like the it was like calendars. If you get a calendar. <laughs> And what that means. Oh, yeah, I'd heard yeah. that one before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was really great. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I was thinking the whole time you were saying this automation thing. It was like trying to think of uh, what a stand-up comedy robot would look like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, I think stand-up comedy is probably a bit safer. Uh, to a certain degree, but I know someone at some point, some MIT guy or some, some robotics guy was going to program and he's going to figure out some sort of algorithm of how people laugh at what and where and then yeah. there'll be this like weird boston dynamics like that's it uh hooved uh, what is your name <laughs> yeah. are you married are you married take my wife please <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. actually see that 
I did that's the so, take so care so of baby meta. joke yesterday. By oh, the did way. you? Yeah, nobody liked it, but that's okay. <laughs> but no one liked any <laughs> joke, apparently. No. <laughs> well, it was it was it was a bit a muted crowd. It was interesting yeah, yeah. because it was a full room, but the uh, energy of a room, and we've talked about this many yeah. times, yeah, yeah. is completely unpredictable. Yeah, like, no, you don't know what's gonna happen. It takes one rotten apple, and it can just spoil the whole bunch. Yeah, yeah. Or you could just have a bunch of people. You could even have a, a, a like a hundred people in a room, fully there to have a good time. But they don't either coalesce like they're, they're, the the atmosphere. Like you've talked about this, you know mm-hmm. how people kind of um, psychically agree to only laugh so loud. Or yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, they tune into each other the way musicians yeah, yeah, well, would, right? Well, that's also what I was like. I just had this one experience. I went to see this Fringe show like ten years ago or something, and uh, everyone else was having a great time, but the guy next to me was like in the foulest of moods <laughs> and it just brought me down and I just couldn't enjoy you just show. poisoned your vibe yeah, was it like G.I. Joe the musical or something like that oh yeah I remember that yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think it was big... that I think yeah. it was that and like everyone was like having a really good time I couldn't just help it because I was like next to this guy that was just like the most depressing man in the world <laughs> and I was like why don't you just leave? He was on. We were on the far side of the thing, so he'd have to like cross the stage. But you know, I was just like, "Oh my god, you're that's, ruining this." So, that's you know. always baffled me. People who come out and then they have their like arms crossed and frowning, right? And unless you really ma- either, maybe for them, it's kind of like a game where they walk in and you gotta break through their barrier of curmudgeonly malcontent, like you know. And then if you're really good, otherwise Ooh, they're not giving like- it to you, and they're just gonna frown the whole show that sounds know? like a good name for a podcast curmudgeonly malcontent curmudgeonly malcontent uh, yeah that <laughs> definitely that would <laughs> like, be my show like <laughs> like two old guys just bitching about shit just be like and you know, <laughs> believe the kids are talking about like the robots taking their jobs uh, like my knees my knees my knees hurt <laughs> yeah just oh, complaining but yeah i was gonna say yeah. actually the your your imitation of the robot making jokes i loved how meta that was because like that would actually be really funny to see a robot m- like imitating a ro like an old style robot making tacky jokes like right. that itself is actually like hilarious it's like triple layered yeah uh, like that, that that was like yeah it can do perfect like voice and and head movement but it's it's like hey look everybody yeah, I'm a model like, too <laughs> yeah <laughs> and he's just like doing the wavy arm thing and yeah he's he's yeah it's a little he's, terrifying actually because <laughs> and I guess. For the listeners that maybe haven't, you know, looked into too much about this, like I think about this, I've been thinking about it more and more over the past like mm-hmm. six months to a year. Um, there's a great video on YouTube by CGP Gray uh, about uh, automation uh, to kind of get a sense of like, because tied in with this automation thing is also artificial intelligence. Like the two are going together, yeah, right? Course. It's like there have been parallel streams here and they're both going full steam ahead. And to get a sense, like to to put it in relatable terms, watch the movie Her. Um, that will give you a sense of Joaquin Phoenix yeah. falls in love with like a Siri type thing. Yeah, mm. I mean it's basically a Siri type thing made, but like self aware. It's self aware, but it's also like the it's what you want Siri to be. Okay, so it's automated for best possible companionship. It's a learning computer. Because <laughs> because it's 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 it's. it's it's at least human level intelligence, but obviously much faster because mm-hmm. uh, it can scan 10,000 emails in a second and just be like, yeah, so you got these 10,000. You don't really need half of them. Should we just delete that? You know, and you know, like the processing the power is companion. so much. Yeah. yeah and the, the point is, but it's also, it's going to be relatable. Like, right. again, we, we tend to think of the technology as where it is or where it was. And we think like, oh yeah, well, like, 
AI, like what, Siri or like in video games where I can keep running into a wall and the running animation will always happen? Like, no, no, no. We're like, we're, we've, we're having some rough, you know, like entries and, and forays into this stuff, but mm-hmm. this is going to accelerate really fast. Yeah, exponentially. And, and, you know, so to get some sense or, you know, to have some perspective, like her is a good example of, or actually, I love the technology depictions in Black Mirror. Right. Which I haven't seen yet. But, oh, no? Um, oh, my God. I've, I've, I've heard amazing things. You know, set in good. a kind of near future, mm-hmm. like 10, 15 years. And just the predictions of social interactions and how technology integrates and the way you interact with technology. They've put thought into it. Super interesting. Yeah. Like, and it, it just, like, you watch it and I, I at least feel, I just think, Yeah. I, I see that being a thing. Well, that's one, one thing I always thought was really interesting about... Um, I've been elaborating this idea that's, I'm sure, shared by m- much more profound people than myself in research. But this idea that um, an internet being a perfect example of this, that we <clears throat> have no... The, many of the problems we're having with technology is that we, we have no time to adapt to them emotionally, right? We don't have time to, to get there emotionally and really d- discover what our relationship is with the technology mm. because by the time we've started to embrace it, it's a new thing now and it's a next thing right. and it's bigger. And, oh, you like video? You're starting to get into, oh, 360 video. Or like, oh, God, it's everywhere. Yeah, everywhere around you. Oh, God, what do I do with this? Or like, oh, now it's like sensory and then there's you can like smell it now and now, now you can like the, share, the chair shakes. And so we're just constantly like accelerating this technology, but emotionally we're not developing any sort of equilibrium with it emotionally, right? And yeah. that's I think causing a lot of this, <clears throat> a lot of the horror stories with um, uh, overshare, right, on social media, mm. uh, the Twitter sphere kind of situation. And one thing that's always really great about science fiction movies, in my mind, is that they always the same way that they always made these really uh, sort of cute assumptions about like how we'd um we'd all put on the same silver wingtip outfit yeah. and agree to wear these yeah. like uniforms or we'd all kind of just coalesce and work together towards these grand visions uh, all the people seem to be really uh, at peace with the technologies that are around them there's mm-hmm. nobody going like it doesn't seem like the technology is progressing further at any rate not particularly much of sci-fi yeah, yeah. it seems technology like has achieved its zenith and it just kind of yeah. sits there and everything is perfect exactly and progress is slow after that exactly and uh, the only show one of the only shows i've seen where it didn't do that and the show unfortunately wasn't any good or not that good but the this aspect of it was kind of cool was uh, enterprise where they would you know like like what do you mean get to the transporter no i'm not getting into that fucking thing like like it actually (laughs) right yeah showed like a like what do i do with this it has a stun and a kill setting okay which one's which and like there was a little bit of like oh we have yeah growing pains there was a uh even though this thing is super superior to all the other technology i don't like it i'm not gonna i'm not ready to do this and I think that was the one, only rare times that I've seen. So to tie it into what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah, that, that seems like a perfect uh, time, I think yeah. the acceleration is scary because we, we, it's happening so fast that we're, we can't decide if it's, first of all, if it's good or bad for us. We can't decide if we want it or not. We do mass rejections occasionally. It's almost like imagine all of humanity, just this one body on an operating table and somebody trying to graft like cybernetics to it 
and and, yeah. and shoot liquids into it and try new things to make it more to superior to evolve it but it's trying to mesh coal technology with like organic biological things that take infinitely longer to evolve if ever right and mutate random almost seemingly randomly based on you know all these natural like, physics right and here we're just like technology is this thing like there's going to be an eight and there's going to be a nine and there's going to be a point nine a point ten and you're just like at some point you're overwhelmed right hmm. so i think that's where i see a danger too it, it definitely evolves a lot faster than we do and yeah. that movie her is a good example of that right like if you put that kind of intelligence but with like a immense processing power mm -hmm. and like unlimited information like it'll evolve in seconds more than you'll evolve in years right. yeah right? and so, it always sounds I mean, like it's on prozac <laughs> yeah. what are you doing dave <laughs> yeah what are you doing <laughs> i mean so i think i think that is like a gr like i think her is a great relatable example for a lot of people because it's it's something that we can all imagine and it's like it's it also comes down to like sort of the heart of heart of the question of it all like the question at the heart of it all rather yeah. um which is that we're still trying with the development of technology we're always still trying to find the human connection and like what is the human relatable element to it but that's not the reality of it right mm. i think the internet is an interesting example of that the internet is just this infrastructure for human interaction plus bots yeah. but we'll focus on the human interaction for a second and humans go around like trying to go around on the internet trying to have and engage you know have this interaction with one another and seek out human experiences uh which of course too. <laughs> sorry to show their penises too yes yeah well <laughs> i was gonna say these like i'm not talking about like touching heartfelt stories that you hear on npr i'm talking about like yeah everything what's up and baby <laughs> there's so like and yeah at the heart of it yeah there's a lot of porn there's a lot of dick pics there's a lot of very sexual things like that's half that's half of what the you know that's a lot more than half of what the internet is but uh yeah uh, actually, interesting thing I heard on a podcast many years ago um, was uh, apparently the porn industry is actually uh, one of the lead developers of security and technology. Oh, yeah. uh, that makes sense. And makes yeah, sense. it's. Uh, but I think they I developed actually, a lot more than that, like the video compression. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff like YouTube would like would not or it wouldn't have existed when it did. Yeah. Uh, had not been performed. I mean, it makes it's, perfect sense that they would be on the front lines of that stuff. Oh, of course. Yeah, it's it's super interesting that it's probably one of the biggest, most influential industries that is never talked about, exactly. yeah. except on this podcast because we mentioned it at the beginning yes. and now, you know, much later on. And now it, it's, it makes it's penis time. Of, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but like, I think it's so interesting that that <laughs> like I think it's so interesting that the entire like business world doesn't talk about this like yeah. this is one of the driving forces not billion just in, dollar industry billions oh, and billions billions and billions of dollars yeah. one of the driving forces of human nature it's like this massive elephant in that the world on the world stage that no one talks about right. above board you know it's like the porn and the military like essentially <laughs> pretty much like everyone yeah. everyone knows about it everyone sees it you know, or there was a great, there was like um, some researchers were going around at U of M, uh, University of Montreal, and they were they were trying to, 
you know, get a control group for their study about uh, people who watch uh, porn and people who don't, but they couldn't find a single man. I, I can't yeah. remember if it was just a single man or if they couldn't find anyone, anyone. that, that no, didn't watch porn. I think it was a single. <clears throat> I think it was a single man that they couldn't find. But anyways, it was just <laughs> it's like actually kind of interesting that that you know this this new tool, you know, this like tool of the of the future that's you know it's never been rivaled. Right, like this is just this new era for humanity is fueled mainly by fucking and fighting. Well, that's it, it's it's all fueled <laughs> porn by yeah. and and the military. You know what's <laughs> landing on Mars, right? You know what the next thing is once they land safely is porn on being Mars. the first to fuck on Mars. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, that, there's a Mile High Club thing that you cannot beat. Yeah, uh, what what yeah, do you young sure. couples do when they move into a new place? Right, they baptize <laughs> every room. Someone's gonna christen Mars. You know it. <laughs> You know someone's gonna right. You know you. But God does it knows. have to be Matt Damon? Can it not no, be Matt Damon? No, can it not okay. be? Please, I'd prefer. If it was <laughs> but you know that's just Matt the thing. Damon. Yeah, fucking and fighting is pretty much at the core of all of our like uh, uh, you know male. Yeah, it's what is it's what got us here. So it can't be that bad. Right. It was like Neil Brennan was saying working. in his special about uh, how uh, men have to actively not be bad <laughs> because there's a there's a Latino convict inside every one of us doing like curls and going like do it essay do it do it <laughs> like just telling you to do horrible things it's like your testosterone just telling you like you see that girl whistle whistle where yeah. where whistle just blow do kisses it. at her do She'd it like and you're like no no I'm a I'm a good guy I'm a good person I don't do that shut up. All right, man, whatever. All day. All day, baby. <laughs> we'll get you the right. And you have to fight that battle at every turn. We're like, I eventually. thought I dealt with this. I don't whistle at women. It's not, a, I don't do catcalling. But it occurs to you every time a pretty woman walks by, right? So I just, whatever. It's yeah. an exaggeration, but I, I thought no, it was it's... pretty clever. So uh, just to sort of um, curtail this, because I feel like this is a very big topic. Um, uh, do you interact? online with people like or do you do you put your, you obviously have your work online somewhere yeah i've got my work online uh where can I, people uh, listen to your work uh apart the, from a really great short film we did together um hashtag punisher no mercy yes uh oh you're another punisher mercy. that's yeah. where we met <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah i did I the sound editing and mixing on uh punisher no mercy yeah, yeah he, he's he saved our bacon and everyone else who's been on that project has been on the podcast too. almost yeah it's almost. like a tradition Almost. Yeah. Whoever hasn't been on, we need to we need to close that gap. Yeah, but uh, no, no, we don't need to. <laughs> but um, yes, your music. Your, so your yeah, work. Uh, my my website is idefixmusic.com. So i d e e f i x e music, m u s i c. So like, it's a mix of English and French. Idefixmusic.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, um what kind of stuff do you, you have like samples or, or yeah i got demos? samples of all sorts of stuff i've now just recently switched it over to dividing the playlists into sort of broad styles so like action adventure and then comedy sort of comedy romantic comedy kind of thing and and people can like you can like you can get a license or uh pay pay to use your music or yeah yeah of course mm-hmm. uh i'm open to all projects and if they want to license an existing track talk to me some of it uh, i license myself and others are licensed through a company um so it all depends mm-hmm. and what about like um performance do you have any performance uh, no up? performances coming up i might be starting a band this summer right i don't know no i'm not i'm not sure about that yet but we'll we'll see we'll see how explore. that goes yeah it was just like well I think I might try and write another song or two and just try and get a, a couple of friends together and just uh, just have a little jam night and just 
see what comes of it. All right. Um, do you Twitter? Do you Facebook? Uh, I don't have I don't have professional pages on Facebook or mm-hmm. I, I I technically my Twitter handle EDFix Music uh, at EDFix Music is is like my professional account, but I never got into Twitter. It was just never quite my thing. You never just saw the use for it. I get yeah, it. Yeah, it just it never never really fit into my like that's just not how I wanted to express myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I used to be like really active on Facebook. I kind of like took a backseat. Now I'm more of a consumer uh, on social stuff like um more recently got a bit into twitch oh yeah follow twitch is cool people, follow a few people on twitch mm-hmm. uh um mostly mario maker stuff okay um like you watch people play yeah uh-huh. I, it started when i was i was i was checking out their youtube videos um uh and i was like and then you know i don't the streaming times don't always work for me, so I usually just end up watching the. the oh right, because they're broadcasts, right? Yeah, this, mm-hmm. you know, live streaming. It's it's great, but it's like you have to be there at a certain time. So sometimes I usually just end up watching the edited YouTube versions, right? Like a few days later. The whatever. the highlight reel. The, yeah. So I have one more question for you, but it's a bit of an embarrassing question Ooh. because this is something I should know. How oh. do you pronounce your last name? <laughs> <laughs> Because I don't want to do it. I don't want to. I don't want to butcher it. I'm, no, I'm terrible I, with last names. Uh, I will spell it out for people first, so they okay. understand the what's they, going on. They understand what's going <laughs> on. My name is Tristan C A P A C C H I O N E, and it is pronounced Capacione. Capacione. Yeah. Ah, and nice. The confusion often comes. They think it's spelled like cappuccino. C A P P. No, Capacione. Capa okay. as in like head, and they they get confused with the key sound. They think it's a chi because it's C H I. So you get people like, "Hey, cappuccino!" Like you uh, get <laughs> my whole life. Hey, cappuccio, cappuccio. Uh, so cappuccione. <laughs> but it's C H I in Italian is key as in yeah. Chianti, oh, which is what I like tell the, people to help. Drink, yeah, yeah. Um, so cappuccione. Cappuccione, great. Now, 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 I that has been clear. That thank you. It's, it seems it's, like it's we should have started with that question. <laughs> but so, thanks for so I'm sorry. Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> oh yes. Do uh, I know you? Do I know? No. We, uh, as usual, we just uh, pulled you off the street. Yeah. Listen, Tristan, this has been really fascinating. Thank you for for taking a chance on uh, on just coming out and talking to us about this uh, this cool industry and this cool thing that is sound. Like, uh, I think if anything, um, I'm glad there's people like you out there who are doing this kind of work. I think sound is often overlooked. Uh, no pun intended, that uh, in uh, independent projects and things like that, and uh, I think uh, uh, not enough emphasis is put on it a lot of times when it comes to... um, More and more, I'm I'm seeing a lot of people saying, I'm seeing in a lot of articles and stuff, like in the independent world, Mm -hmm. they're just like, I'm seeing it more and more. The sort of one of the first pieces of advice is don't cheap out on sound. And it's really true. Yeah, we can work magic and post nowadays, but like... It takes limits. a lot of work, and it, we won't be happy, and it's not going to be as good. Mm-hmm. Um, there's sort of a there's sort of a an old axiom that's like, sound is fifty percent of your film. Uh, my sort of addition to that is, that's if it's done well. If it's done poorly, sound is eighty percent of your film. <laughs> good point. Because that's all people are going to notice. It's true. And, you know, as soon as the sound is bad or it's like a little out of sync or the ADR really sticks out or whatever it is, 
man, it's just like it just takes you out of that, you know. Well, that's all we ta- talked about when we talked about Dark Knight Rises, right? <laughs> we were, we were yeah, like, exactly. Uh, we didn't even discuss the plot uh, of the film. Takes you out of it right away. So cool, man. Well, uh, safe journey. I hope we Thanks. get to work again. Yeah, uh, on something I'm, uh, we crisscross or intersect at some point, and uh, I'll try and catch a stand-up show sometime. That'd I be great, man. Been able to, I'm starting to uh, I'm starting to uh, reach a point where I, I'm starting to feel a little traction going. And uh, last night was a really good good time. There's another one on the 31st uh, at uh, Caffeine Cafe, uh, which is uh, on Bishop Street. Uh, that's the Artisanal Comedy Hour, uh, run by Amir Rez, who was here last time. So that's going to be my actual debut uh, in a like non-open mic environment. Like nice. yesterday was a comedy lab, so there were some newcomers. This time I'm going to be probably the the newcomer or probably the, the the greenest person there, and I'm up with some pretty seasoned dudes and ladies. So that's really cool. I'm really looking awesome. forward to that. So uh, yeah, it, uh, if you want to come and check it out, I'd, I'd love to get your your feedback. <laughs> You're right. like. Yeah, you're, you're too close to the mic. Actually, that's that's. <laughs> I was gonna say, if you're that, getting feedback, no. <laughs> uh-huh. that would be amazing if if because I, I and I don't want to go off on like this too much, but uh, I believe there's a section of comedy that is mic control oh, that like ninety percent of comedians don't know about or don't realize it's a thing. And when you see a master, you realize they. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they they know the mic. If you watch like well. Chris Rock and stuff, yeah. like because. Especially if you if you're going to incorporate any kind of sound effects and stuff into your into your work, or you have a very like abrasive voice, or yeah, like controlling that is yeah. a huge part of it. Because knowing when to keep it like at a you know sort of a reasonable distance mm-hmm. from everything, when to bring it up to your mouth, you to know, create different effects. Yeah, yeah. yell away from it if you're pretending someone's yelling at you on yeah, the street. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a Bill huge Burr is thing. the master of this, by the way. Okay. Bill Burr is absolute master, but he he he's a knucklehead character, like right. the, so. You don't pick up on it, but when I did, I was like, "Oh my god!" The, he, if you remove that, it's his instrument. Yeah, it's amazing. He yeah. plays the fucking microphone. Yeah, really? yeah, like yeah, a champ. Yeah. Like I, I stole that from the the chest bump uh-huh. when you're falling down. Yeah. yeah, that's the thing I took from him, and he he uh, and even on this podcast, sometimes he'll yell something out like off mic, and it sounds like someone go like, "Get out of here," you know. And yeah, I'm yeah. like, and you're like, "Why is he doing that?" His story is incredibly funny, and you realize that the fact that he did that actually contributed to the yeah yeah the right. comedy. Well, because it it adds dimension to what is what can be a very like it depends on the comedian, of yeah. course. But stand up comedian, I mean, it's everything's in the name right there, right? You stand up and you tell jokes, right? But to add dimension and storytelling to that, you're gonna have to play with with what you got and. You know, I mean, yeah, all all the masters do it. I mean, you know, Robin Williams does cool mm-hmm. things, and you know, yeah, and like you're, and there's a, anyway, we we could really cool get things. into this, but Rip. yeah, <laughs> there's the the fact that the sounds coming out from like often the clubs have very poor sound systems, yeah, uh, not or the the placing of the speakers is very weird, yeah, and yeah. so you're getting sometimes a delay or a weird thing back at you, and you got to keep your head in the game and stuff like that. So yeah, hey, come on down, man. I'd, I'd love to. Cool. Love to see you. Yeah. Thanks for joining us, man. My pleasure. Fire in the hole. It was a pleasure. Fire in the hole. Fire in the hole.